welcome to the TetraCast, episode 148. We've managed to do this every single week since we've brought it back alive this year, so I'm proud of that. I am your host, Brian Vitale, and joining me today are Josh Torres. Seemingly weekly, one might say. Yes, we're hedging our bets still. Uh, we have Adam Vitale. Hey, guys. And James Galizio. Hey, folks. James, have you been on every single one of these? It seems like it. Uh, have I? I honestly don't know. I think I'm I might have missed that... one. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, we have a good crew of regulars here, so that we always yeah. we have at least three or four people to to chat about RPGs um, every every week. I'm on the ones so that we're... take more than two and a half hours. Yes, when Josh is here, our average uh, time <laughs> just goes up by about thirty minutes. But we're fine with that. So strap in. Oh, no. minutes in Melbagay. <laughs> oh. So we're uh, about a week away from the official launch of Final Fantasy VII Remake and, of course, a bunch of other April games. Uh, but for the week leading up to that, we're going to be talking about the last games that we've been playing before those all land next week or soon after. Uh, I don't know who wants to start first. Uh, I'm looking at the list of games that we've written down on our notes here about what who's been playing what, and I'm most interested in what Adam's been playing this last week because it is a game that I've played recently from several years ago with a, with a sequel coming out this year. So Adam, what have you been playing this week? Yeah, so I mentioned last week how I had finished uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Cross, and you know there's a little bit of time before things like Final Fantasy VII Remake release and all that coming out this month. So one game I've been meaning to get to for quite some time uh, with a sequel coming out later this year is Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. It's one of those games that has kind of gained some sort of cult following, even though I didn't know a whole lot about it. If you put cult classic in the dictionary, this is like the the prototypical example for that. This Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Talk about later. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like I'm I'm interested in the sequel. I'm it's just been it's a, it's a type of game that once I learned about it, I wanted to try it out. You just never really got around to it. And then when they announced the sequel, was it last year uh, or not not that long ago? Um, I kind of figured, well, now's the time, I guess, to play it. And I, I had some time time to spare. I vaguely remember that announcement. They had this weird like fake like conference meeting that they had about like some um plague or pandemic thing right there's some medical research yeah, they had, thing they had like a month-long uh arg uh with that dealt with weird fake uh like video clippings and hints and about a new like company i forget the details but then yeah it yeah was, it, that was bizarre yeah it all culminated in this weird very depending on your mindset you could call it cringy or you could call it like cheeky or like cheesy uh news conference that was like you you learned that it was actually being overrun by like underworld creatures like vampires or werewolves it it was like it was like like an aware fake infomercial almost this is actually kind of interesting i'm i'm checking the original teaser which was last march so it was basically announced uh roughly a year ago um and uh one of the teaser images is very reminiscent of the ocean haunted house and it's actually kind of funny like when this was teased that meant nothing to me like what what Mm -hmm. is this house 
but now that I played it, it's like it's that house. Because <laughs> uh, uh, one of the uh, early the moments probably the like most identifiable moment from that game i would think yeah it's it's relatively early on so even if you haven't finished the game it's one of the very first things you run into it's basically a haunted house on the ocean and it's kind of like a horror game at that point um but more not really like jump scares and not like resident evil or whatever but it's just kind of like this really moody haunted house that you go through and it's really neat and it's, like, a, it's more uh, leaning on like like Japanese horror type atmosphere there. Like it's more about dread rather than yeah. something popping out at you. It's really cool. Yep. So one reason why I decided to play this game now is I knew it wasn't that long. It's about thirty hours, um, and that's if you like really take your time. So I'm like, hey, I can, I have you know enough time to probably finish this, and I beat it within a week. You know, I had some time to play with uh, everyone being quarantined, uh, but it's. So how do I put this? Where do I want to start? One thing I wasn't very... Okay, I maybe to back up just have a slight history lesson. So Vampire the Masquerade is a part of the World of Darkness series of tabletop RPGs is what it originally stems from. And this series, this World of Darkness is a series of RPGs and these all have names like Vampire the Masquerade or Werewolf the Apocalypse, Hunter the Reckoning. So they all kind of have that uh, that format to their name. And there's been a couple of video games in the series. There's been a couple Hunter the Reckoning games. Um, but Vampire the Masquerade is by far the most prolific and the best one. Um, it's the only one I played, so I can't say, like, yeah, this is obviously the best one, but it's by far the one that's gained the most traction. I'd agree um, with you. Hunter the Reckoning isn't bad either, though. Yeah, that, from what I from what my research, it looks like that's more like an action fighting game yeah. sort of thing. Um, there's There were a couple of those. But... Uh, so Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines is basically the video game version of Mas Vampire the Masquerade. Um, and one, the, the first thing that stood out to me that I wasn't really expecting was that uh, the game is very, very focused on uh, dialogue and quests, which is a good thing because the game's combat is not great. <laughs> so <laughs> it's... It's one of those games where it's an RPG where you spend most of your time talking to NPCs. And I just found it really interesting because I had not really been introduced to this world before. And I just wanted to... One of my, one of my uh, reasons for playing this is before I play the sequel, I kind of want to have some familiarity with the terms and the factions and things like that. So I just kind of soaked it in. And like a lot of the game is kind of... Uh, maybe I should step back a bit. So at the very beginning of the game, you are turned into a vampire. Uh, and so you, as the York main character that you create, doesn't really know what all this is. So you're kind of a stand-in for uh, the player who's learning about all this. And so you have NPCs that explain to you, like, this is what it means to be a vampire. Here are some of the different sects and some of the different uh, clans that make up this vampire world and different types of vampires like Toreadors and Tremers and Brujas. Like that, if you haven't played, that means nothing to you, but uh, these different types of vampires have different uh, sorts of skills, different sorts of uh, abilities, and also just, what's the word I'm looking for? Just viewpoints and how they view what a vampire should be and how they should act. So like, for example, a Toreador are the types of vampires that are very much into like romance so they're they're kind of like the stereotypical sexy vampires that you 
uh, see in some media. Um, let's pause for a second. Do we want Kyle to join in? Yeah, sure, why not? I'd rather I'd rather do it and regret it than not do it and regret yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. I am yeah. down for the Kyle cameo. Hi, Kyle. Hello. It's been a while. Hey. I figured I would say hello. We missed you, man. Uh, RPG sites alumni. Now he's a PP two four seven IGN. A bunch of uh, lie out horror. Talk to him. Yeah. yeah, I I'm at a bunch of places, but I am still very much an RPG site person. Uh, I will Once you carry that to my grave. Yeah. <laughs> No one, no one can leave. Alex, <laughs> Alex is basically. I don't know if you all knew this. If you've seen the movie Goodfellas, so like Alex is like the mob boss, and we're all just kind of like every time we try and get out, he pulls us back in. It's true. Has he been like trying to court you back or something? It's like, hey, I think he always asks me to do. He asks me to do VG stuff, uh, but he does say, like, like in light of um, <clears throat> points in every direction stuff going on. He's like, well, if you if you want more work, I'm here. I'm like, sweet. Uh, let me let me write about. Uh, clearly, I need to write about the biggest RPG of 2020, Resident Evil Three. There we go. <laughs> um, but no, it's uh, I, I figured I'd jump in because I saw you were all here and wanted to see how everyone was doing and talking to the listeners because I, I you y'all have been doing a really good job with the with the new podcast. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fair, awesome. Shout out to Brian and Adam. Yeah, Zach pretty much set the format, and we just said let's just do what he did. So we haven't really deviated too much from that, but. It's worked out, and we get a couple of nice comments every week from people who do listen. So it's it does feel yep. uh, worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, I, I've been listening to it while I work and whatnot, and and it's good. Like, so with my brief uh, cameo, or with my sudden cameo, rather, what, what were you were you all in the middle of before so I came? Are you just in? gonna just include this on the on the recording? Oh yeah, for yes. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Adam, it's been so long. I've missed you dearly. Yeah. If you, want, if you want to review any RPG for us, I know you oftentimes can review other places, but if you want to review anything for us for whatever reason, just let me know. Absolutely. I would love to. Like that Elden Ring? Because hmm? hmm? I don't know much about it right at this point. It's been a while. I, I ho hopefully they show it again. I think that... I, I bet they'll show it at the IGN summer thing, since Bandai Namco has already signed on for that. Makes oh, totally. Totally. And it's kind of like from software since about Dark Souls 2 has kind of had this like rhythm where they like once the last game is out, then they start talking about the next one. And they seem to like develop like really high quality games all at once, too. Like they've wrapped up Sekiro, you know, about like this. Well, I guess it was already out by this time last year, but like a year ago. And so they're probably all hands on deck for yep. Elden Ring. And I think it's my most anticipated game rpg was uh, from soft souls like games are still pretty good like people like oh yeah get up on like dark souls 2 for not being as good as one and three but honestly i still think like two is a very good game and i still think that two, three. two remains my favorite like pvp experience in the souls games like i really like P uh, pvp in two 
I think also the re-release uh, Scholar helped it a lot too. Like it's a much better game. Mm. That version of it is much better than the original release. Um, the original I've heard game. some. I've heard some people that actually dislike the changes and the um, enemy placement Scholar. I don't know. Yeah, I could see that, and I I liked it more, but I also was a little less hard on it. I think that game carried some pretty big expectations, and yeah. when you go back to it, it's pretty good. Like you could you could play something worse. You could play like oh, what was it? Fucking Souls like uh, Lords of the Fallen. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking like uh, okay. Here's a hot take. Yeah, that's true. So I played Dark Souls three last year, and I think that it's probably my least favorite in the trilogy. I, th- I could see that, honestly. It, uh, I feel like that, that game is kind of like... I even said this. This was the first sure, review. This was my first review, I think, for RPG site. And I actually got oh, quoted. Shit, really? Yeah, it was Dark Souls 3. And and I remember... I kind of like said it. It's kind of like a cover song of your favorite band where it's like... Okay, it's, yeah, I get that. It's, it's yeah, a little obsessed yeah. with nostalgia for Dark Souls 1. Um I still think it's a great game, but yeah, it definitely. I've I've said this. I always draw this parallel when I talk about nostalgia, but it's like how Twilight Princess was more concerned about being Ocarina of Time two rather than its own thing. Um, yeah, it's funny because like I played Dark Souls three right after I played like Demon Souls, and I noticed like not it wasn't just a bunch of like Dark Souls like yeah cover songs like you were saying but it feels like there's a bunch of like demon soul stuff there too like your dungeons just the worst tower of latria and stuff like that yeah yeah and that i can't remember the name of the lady in dark souls 3 but she was basically the maiden in black um yep. and the whole killing of the first flame was or i can't remember the central hub um but it, it was, was basically, basically the just, tower yeah yeah it, like it was very i kind of felt like it was like miyazaki saying like i've had enough of this fucking series so here's my greatest hits album <laughs> <laughs> even the dlc was like you like the painted world in the first game well here's a mm-hmm. i forgot it had dlc like <laughs> well ring city is <laughs> undoubtedly the best part of dark souls 3 yeah well even in in the ring city the um that one boss fight is basically the old monk boss fight from Demon Souls, where it summons another player, um, and you have to fight them. And the, the other player is the boss, which is obviously something from Demon Souls, which yeah. I still... I still think that's like one of the coolest ideas in a video game ever. <laughs> but that's like one of those those things. Like it's one of the coolest things that you can, you can only do it once. If you do it again, Ex- it just it just it ruins yeah, it. totally, totally, one hundred percent. What, what about you, Adam? Do you love Do you love all this Dark Souls talk? <laughs> oh, he was actually the one we interrupted. To bring you on. So oh, sorry, playing. sorry, Adam. I want to hear what you're playing or whatever. You're... I want well, to hear. I actually, everything. I have not played any of the Dark Souls games, so I'm behind. Mm. So yeah. It's but what like were you talking? Have you? Wait, Dark Souls. <laughs> have you played Vampire: The Masquerade? Is that the the old PC game? Yeah, like 2004. The only reason I asked because I was like, "Are you? Do you mean the board game or <laughs> no, not the tabletop game?" <laughs> no, I have not played it, but I've heard it's great. Yeah, so I was—I'm not exactly sure how we're going to deal with this podcast recording or just leave it as is. Okay, <laughs> at this point. Yeah, so we just started, and you know, we start our podcast as you know by just kind of discussing the things we've been playing and about those. Mm-hmm. And before, like Final Fantasy VII remake comes out and all that, this busy month coming up. Uh, I had some time to spare, and I knew there was a sequel coming out mm-hmm. for Vampire the Masquerade, 
and I knew the first game wasn't too long. I know it's about 30 hours, but it's a well-loved cult classic. So I decided, hey, I'll just give this a shot. I have time. Why not? Mm-hmm. So I gave it a run through and I knew the game was, it's it's kind of a janky game. It's not a very well polished, you know, triple A high presentation type game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of w- went in with that expectation. And so you kind of have to just realize that it's, you kind of have to put up with a little bit of odd, odd presentation and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have a lot of unofficial patches to kind of help it out because it's, it, it is a cult classic and there's been lots of, fans over you know over a decade and that on a kind of patch is like updated recently it like was the last year maybe two years no 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 no. when i played this game there was a march 2020 update to that like this month or last month and it's so yeah like this one guy who just like keeps i think a lot of it he keeps tweaking his like plus patch where he adds stuff but i think he also keeps finding little fixes and tweaks to like the base patch he's trying to uh so this unofficial patch for Vampire the Masquerade kind of has two branches. It has basically mm-hmm. the base patch, which is like, I'm only going to try to fix things as the developers intended. And then he has like a plus patch where he like says, I feel in my personal opinion that this is would be this this item would be better if this boss dropped it or if this if this went this way or things like that. So it kind of depends on how much you value the original intent or mm-hmm. something that has like a decade of hindsight on it. Yeah, so when I patched the game, I did use the unofficial patch. I did the minus patch, which is basically just fixes. Oh, that's awesome. uh, I just kind of figured for my first time through the game, just want to experience it mostly how it was made, but fixed up rather than the plus patch, which adds and changes things. Um, I, I just felt like for my first time through, I should probably just do the minus patch. So anyways, playing this game... Uh, and what I was talking about just before Kyle jumped on was I didn't realize how much of a focus this game had on like side quests and dialogue and speaking with NPCs. And that was really cool to me. And I was also talking about, I just kind of was soaking in the world and the lore. The the the, the beat the beat storyline is okay. It mostly revolves around a, sarc- a sarcophagus that's been unearthed and you kind of have you're trying to learn about like what the origin of the sarcophagus is and what it means for vampire kind or kindred kind as they call it but i was more interested in just learning about like the lore of the game the the different vampire clans the different vampire sects uh and just kind of soak that all in and now that i'm more familiar with it for the sequel that comes out later this year and one thing about the game I really, really like with the side quests is that there are no objective markers. I kind of, mm-hmm. it's not really the same type of game, but I kind of like compare it to like the Outer Worlds where every side quest in, that, in the Outer Worlds pretty much points you exactly where you need to go. And it's a little bit, you know, it's just everything is so signposted like, oh, you need to talk to this person who is in this spot and or go to this place and do this thing. But Vampire the Masquerade, it really relies on you to read your journal. It's, they'll tell you to go to some building and you need to find out where that building is. You have to actually like go to a subway station map and look it up. Like, oh, that's where that building is. And then you might hear from a from an NPC or a, or a, or an answering machine. Remember those? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Like they'll 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 mention in like an audio. It's like an audio log, but it's an answering machine, and it doesn't it doesn't uh. I don't think it overuses them either, like some RPGs do. They'll they'll mention like a person, 
And it won't be added to your journal necessarily, but you kind of have to just realize, oh, they're they're talking about this person. I should maybe go there and talk. They don't about they don't highlight that like name too, right? Like when they're speaking the dialogue, no. it's not like under no. underline or anything. Okay. You actually have to like pay attention, right? And sometimes they'll pick up items like journals or other items. And there, once again, I feel like it doesn't over overuse these either. And you actually have to like read it and figure out. Oh, it's mentioning this place or this thing, and you have to go there. And it, what, what I'm getting at is, is that it actually uses things like the environment and items and dialogue and everything like that really well in terms of quest design. And you have to figure things out as you go. Mm-hmm. And also, it avoids things like, uh, like Deus Ex, the recent Deus Ex games, where everything you can interact with is like highlighted. Sometimes it's not so obvious. That mm-hmm. oh you can actually interact with this item in I this place. Thinking, I wasn't thinking of Deus Ex, but I was thinking of Witcher Three, where you just oh what do I do here to turn on your Witcher sense or or whatever. <laughs> turn on Spidey sense, yeah. <laughs> like for example, there's this one quest where you go to a uh, a there, there's actually a lot of these. Right? You go to a strip club. Um, this game is very horny. Lots of strip clubs and prostitutes and things like that. Well, that vampire that politics. Uh, yeah, that comes in the character of the vampire. Yeah. yeah. But like, there's this one quest where you go to one, and you're actually trying to kill a one of the prostitutes there, or one of the strippers there, because mm-hmm. uh, they're uh, you're getting revenge uh, for another person. And you have to one of the things you have to do is you actually have to mess with the ATM machine uh, to get a person to leave. But it doesn't actually. There's nothing in the game that tells you like highlighting like you can interact with the ATM machine, or the game doesn't actually tell you like maybe you should interact with the ATM machine. You actually just go up to it and realize you can mess with it. And what you do is you steal the money out of it. And then one of the uh, patrons, and you want you want the patrons to leave, goes, they need more money to pay the, the dancers. And they're like, oh, I can't get any more money because the ATM's out. I guess I'll leave. And so it's just that's just one example of just interacting with the environment to, to solve a quest. And it's really neat. And you just kind of have to look at things and actually pay attention to your environment and actually pay attention to dialogue and things like that when you're playing this game. And it's, I think it's really cool. Uh, do, you th- do you think, now, do you think that that's unique to that title or do you think it was more like an era thing, like from the time it was out? Well, I'm thinking like, this game came out in 2004. Mm-hmm. So I haven't played like every WRPG under, under the sun, but that's more, more recent games like Outer Worlds uh, have, you know, you can hi- almost everything is highlighted Mm-hmm. In terms of what you can pick up and what you can interact with, and you have quest markers pointing to where you need to go. This game doesn't really have any of that. I guess 2004, that'd be roughly around the time like Knights Old Republic 2 came out, maybe slightly later. Um, I, I it, it, does, it is like a time and era thing because it does incorporate, you know, like earlier adventure quest design of like, hey, you just kind of have to almost pixel hunt a little bit for what you can interact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, these days, like it's much more accessible for people who want to get through the game. But there is, there, there is a little thing missing in between the scenes because it, it you do feel a little like... bit more immersed because you actually have to do pay attention in the environment. Of like, what are the possibilities I can do in the thing that I'm looking at right now? Instead of everything being like, oh, I, it's this, 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 and this, and then move on. I was gonna say a lot of that design feels like uh, in modern days you have to look at. I don't know. I don't know what what a good term is for like the arcane games, dishonored or prey, like quote unquote mm-hmm. like Witch of Sins. I feel like it it almost feels like Vampire the Masquerade was a cross between a first person RPG and an immersive sim. 
And I wonder if uh, the sequel will be, uh, you know, if they don't hold to those roots. Now, I, th I do think games like Deus Ex, if you go into, like, the settings and the options, and even, like, Japanese RPGs, you can, like, turn off a lot of the UI hints. <laughs> but I never, I never really have the foresight or the inclination to do that, even though I think if I did... I would I would end up with the experience similar to what Adam had. I I feel like I I've, I feel like I had to be forced into it. So I, I feel like because in, in my mind it feel it's one of those things like I'm getting this experience the same way everyone is instead of like kind of just artificially like you know restricting oh, myself okay. for for whatever so, sense of self satisfactory. I don't know. It's just that's not really the same thing as like making it a baseline. I, I agree yeah, with I'm... that, like, even a, as a general principle, like, even when someone says, like, a game's too easy, like, well, just don't, don't use the, uh, don't use the best character, the best class, or whatever, or the best equipment, like, well, I, I mm -hmm. wish the game was, like, too, uh, and whether it's difficulty or whether it's design in terms of, like, immersion, I, mm -hmm. I always like when it's something that the developers kind of intend for the, everyone to have, rather than just toggles in a setting menu. I also kind of think... That might sound backwards. I also kind of think that there's something that I do sort of miss about games that didn't quite hold your hand as much where um, it's really fun in the, a lot of older games to like discover something that the developer that you might have missed otherwise. Like, <laughs> of course, I'm going to ring up Silent Hill, but um, there's like this message in, in Silent Hill 2 where I just played the Enhanced Edition, so that's why I'm bringing it up, mm. where where you're walking around um, and you can go into this bar, and there's nothing very special about this bar um, that has an infamous message that says, there was a hole here, it's gone now. Um, but if you go in there later in the game, uh, uh, there's another message, um, that's, and it's just like written on the wall. And, and it doesn't have anything, there's no reason you need to go to this bar at this point of the game. But there, it'll say, um, if you really want to see Mary James, uh, you might as well just die, but you might go somewhere uh, you might not go to the same place as her, which is obviously like a really creepy, unsettling message. But there's no reason to go there. It's just like a little extra thing. So if you like, at like explore a bit, like I feel like that kind of thing, like what you're talking about, Adam, is kind of like isn't as much a part of games. Like again, now I'm gonna bring up another horror game, but I just played through Resident Evil Three, and it did that thing where in files it was like John went to the green highlighted key in the back and then <laughs> so i know exactly what you're talking about and it, and it kind of missed like the whole like kind of trusting the player a little bit more to find secret things or whatever you remember one thing, the, I, one thing i want to mention before i forget about also about the quest design and more mechanics here is that so the the exp in this game which is called xp um it is almost entirely given to you for completing quests in fact, you do not get any for uh, combat at all. So that's first of all an intent, uh, an incentive to to do quests because EXP is very valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, not only in improving your combat capabilities, but also your your computer capabilities, your persuasion and and conversation and things like that. But also, um, a lot of games, especially I, I feel like uh, Deus Ex: Human Revolution actually suffered from this quite a bit. You do not get EXP. You get EXP for like completing quests wholesale, not for like picking locks or taking enemies or being stealthy or things like that. And what that means is it doesn't really matter how you complete a quest, as long as you do, you get the EXP. 
there are maybe some exceptions. Like there are a couple of quests where you might get a bonus EXP if you uh, are silent or whatever, but that's not very common. And what that means is you, you can just kind of complete a quest however you are able to, depending on your character build. And if you if you are able to just talk your way out of it, that works. If you fight your way through it because you're a bruiser type character, you will get at least very most of the same EXP. In some cases, just exactly the same. And so I remember when I was playing like Deus Ex Human Revolution, you actually get bonus EXP for being stealthy. So basically you're kind of, um, you're handicapping yourself if you're not. So you basically just want to sneak up and take out every enemy stealthily. And if you don't, you're just going to have less EXP than someone else um, who is stealthy. And I just think it's really nice that for the most part in Vampire the Masquerade, as long as you are able to complete the quest, however you are able to do that, because there's many, like a good RPG, there's many many avenues for completing quests in this game. That's all that matters, and that's really cool. It feels like you're not being handicapped if you do it one way or the other. One so, what you're what you're describing, it actually reminds me a lot of Divinity Original Sin Two, <laughs> like the whole like you get experience from quests and not so much from fighting things. There's not really grinding, which is really refreshing in a lot of ways. Yeah, so, so uh, when you were uh, speaking about human revolution, it reminded me of uh, that, like, that there's also incentive for, like, it's like just outside incentive for not killing people, going on, uh, like, not, not going wholesale on, you know, killing people in that game. It reminds me that they had, like, an achievement of, like, hey, don't kill anyone in this game or whatever. And it just reminds me of a friend of mine uh, back in the day who was trying to get that achievement. And he pretty much killed no one at that game except one person that he missed because that person fell down in a way like onto like the side of a couch or something and probably like maybe snapped his neck or something <laughs> on the way down yeah i i remember there's dishonored yeah where the characters can like die and yeah he's still ways. pissed about it it's it's great it's amazing I, but i will say it is i will say it was actually kind of nice that vampire the masquerade does not have any steam achievements like sometimes if there's a steam achievement i'm like kind of thinking about the metagame like oh if i want this achievement i have to do it this way <laughs> but this, this game does not have any so you don't even think about it like oh it doesn't matter what i do you know no achievement at risk here or whatever just do whatever just beat the game it's just the old-fashioned way right yeah uh, <laughs> um 2004 was about its time but <laughs> Look, we had Half-Life 2, we had... Uh, Counter-Strike, it was great. San Andreas. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the the part of this game that does not really hold up well is the combat. <laughs> and it's, it's the part of the game that I had never really heard about before playing it, so I, kind of, I guess it kind of makes sense that that's not really the highlight here. You can get through most of the game without a lot of combat, and maybe just like a, a quick skirmish here or there. But the last, let's just say, five hours, it's about a 30-hour game. It's like the last stretch of the game. There are a few more combat zones that you go through. And at this point, it's sort of got that Coder 2 thing going on, Night's Soldier Republic 2 thing, where you could kind of tell that they were maybe strained for resources at this point. Yeah, it's stapled together. Um, and you, you run into a couple more combat zones where you're basically just clearing out buildings, fighting a bunch. And so less focus on the questing and more focus on the, the combat. And it's not great. The combat is actually an action RPG. And I didn't really expect that. Like, I don't know. I think I was expecting something more like Nice Old Republic where it's pretty much just dice rolls. Mm -hmm. um, maybe some positioning, but mostly just hit 
and damage dice rolls, but it's it actually is like action combat, and it's 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 honestly kind of kind of sucks. Um, Very archaic. It, it was yeah. early 90s for, for that kind of thing. Um, my character was a Bruja character, which was a melee character. There actually is like guns and things in this game too, and you can shoot <laughs> like shotguns and and rifles and things like that. I never. It's not. It all feels bad. It's not yeah. a first-person shooter. It's not a third-person shooter, really. I guess it, I guess it is by textbook <laughs> definition, but it's it's I it's very awkward. No, no. I need you. I need you to clarify this one thing. Like, do you do you have to have like silver bullets to kill vampires? No, <laughs> it's actually uh, they actually uh, kind of poke fun at your character. I, I think I mentioned this before you joined on. Your character at the beginning beginning of the game is just turned into a vampire. Uh, that's basically the game's excuse to have people explain to you everything because you're like i have no idea what i am now um so they're <laughs> so they're explaining so there is some exposition in the game about this is what a vampire is and whatnot and they do poke fun at like uh this isn't a comic book don't don't believe that comic book crap uh <laughs> wooden stakes are not dangerous to you um things like that what the what the, your tutorial character actually tells you is the most dangerous things for vampires are shotguns Oh well, uh, I mean, only I, if it hits your head. Same, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They made they finally made vampires relatable, um, <laughs> but so I know in this, I actually am really excited for the sequel. Um, and something I really liked when I when I watched combat video of the combat in the second one because it looks quite bad too in that regard. But everything else about the game looks awesome. But uh, maybe you can tell me. In the second one, they said that you can make your character a speech craft-like specialist, so you can entirely avoid combat if you go about things the right way. Like, is that an option in the original? Yeah, so I never really finished my thought. You go through the uh, the last section of the game with all these different combat zones, and it is just kind of tedious and dull. And um, luckily, my character was good enough. Um, being a kind of a bruiser character, I could kind of just brute face, literally brute force my way through it, and uh, not struggle so much. But I, I could tell, I could see if you were maybe a different sort of character, like this combat stuff. If your character wasn't really built for it, it'd just be maybe difficult and hard, and not just because it's challenging, but because it just kind of sucks to play. So I, I had heard that the that this game kind of falls apart near the end. It doesn't quite fall apart to the same level like Knights of the Republic 2 did, where it literally feels completely unfinished, but it's similar in that regard. It, it, I, I can see a comparison there. The there is, to answer your direct question, to answer his direct question, no, you pretty much have to do these combat sections in the, in the, in the second part of the game. So, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, the original studio pretty much closed right after the game released. I don't remember the exact timing, but... Uh... So obviously, within the last few months, they were just on their last legs, literally. Troika games. Yeah, I re amazingly, I heard, I, I remember reading something that this game literally came out the same day as Half-Life 2, so it kind of got yeah. buried. It was Which, uh, not great, not a great that time to release. Yeah, and that's a Source Engine game, too. Yeah, actually, for the sequel, they actually they haven't really showed a lot of it, to be honest, um, mm -hmm. yet, which is, you know, maybe a little bit worrying because it's supposed to come out. It was it was originally scheduled for this spring, and then they delayed it, and mm -hmm. it makes me wonder, like, was it even close to being ready to be this released this spring because they haven't really shown much of it at all. Mm -hmm. um, they actually did just put out a 
a dev diary for it. Not not a video dev diary, but a text one with not many screenshots either, which is also a little bit weird. Just, okay, I guess I just have to imagine what this looks like. But they are talking about things like traversal in the game and like different traversal components that your character can have, which is a little bit interesting. Like they mentioned stuff like gliding and things like that, which the first game is much more basic. Um, there really isn't any traversal. Like think Knights of the Republic, you're just kind of walking everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that seems something new and different. And I kind of wonder how that'll be. But yeah, the second game coming out supposedly later this year, that is a little bit worrying that they haven't really shown a whole lot of it yet. So we'll see. It's funny. Like the only time I've actually seen any footage of the sequel so far was that one time at that uh, PC gaming show last E3, which was probably the worst possible way to see it because the screen that they had in that like um, theater was just, super like it it was not calibrated well and i i think it was like four bit like color or something because there was like yeah it it was i don't know i don't know how it showed up on like the stream but it was like all all of the different blacks and gray colors on that screen were just all crushed together so you could barely Ah. see anything and of course vampire the masquerade is a really dark game generally like you're playing at night obviously you have to yeah it was like one of those old like uh like projector bulb TVs, I forget what they're called, like DLP TVs, where if you're just any at any sort of angle from that TV, you can't see shit. And it was basically like that. Uh, so well, it wasn't like, even just like the angle. It's like it, I, it, it I was everything. Like the color bit was just like super low because just so much banding. Yeah. yeah. Well, they read. They, but they, uh, they were doing. There were there there was on this marketing cycle where they explained like all the like in the original game there's seven clans you can pick in the new one there's five I don't think you can pick uh, the ghoul type I don't remember their names man I should have looked up like the wiki <laughs> the white wolf wiki but there's the type of there's the type of vampire that look like ghouls so they can't pass as humans so they have to live underground Nosferatu yeah you can't play as those and you, there's one others you can't play as. Uh, but there's five, and they like they had this marketing cycle where every week or every other week they were they were dropping stuff, and then they um that kind of ended, and now we're kind of just on the waiting period, I guess. Do you think you're gonna go through it again in a, under a different clan? The original, probably mm-hmm. not. I remember going through it. I, mean, I think I think only I think I went through it twice. I think I only did it the second time because you were like, you should play Malkavia, and I'm like, okay, and I booted up like. I, What's going on? <laughs> well, Cavians, I remember it being insane. I yeah, I don't. The only thing, see, this is one of those things where before I played this game, I have I have no idea what these clans are, and I actually still don't know exactly what a Malkavian is in the game, like in the storyline. The one Malkavian vampire you're supposed to meet is murdered before you meet them, so I don't like <laughs> quite know what a Malkavian vampire does. Oh but, yeah, man, it's you, you do meet. You do meet Nosferatu, so I'm like, so when I hear Nosferatu vampire, I'm like, ah, oh, I know what those are. Or Toreador vampire or Ventru. One of the main characters, Prince Lacroix, uh, is a Ventru vampire, and he's part of the Camarilla uh, sect. And like, that's actually one of the main reasons I played this game was so like when I hear words like Camarilla and Ventru and things like that, I have some recollection of like, oh, that's that character that I met, and so I have some idea what it is. And you meet like a Tremere vampire. And they're kind of these oddball scientist magic oh, vampires. Yeah, yeah. And oh, he's a, he's like this uh, character named Strauss who is like got these. Uh, he looks like he's like a 
something like some, someone from the matrix or something like a, imagine the, <laughs> the matrix and imagine a vampire in the matrix and like that's that's a that's a, a tremere vampire uh so like that's one reason why i played this first game was so i'm like ah uh i know what these names are at least to some small extent this was definitely a game that was uh inspired by turn of the millennium things like the matrix now that you said, th- now that you mentioned it, it's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I can see. Uh, actually, uh, one of the uh, my my clan is a Bruja clan, like I said, and one of the Bruja clan uh, discipline, I think, is what they call it. Is so disciplines are like special abilities that only that clan can do, and that actually ties into the gameplay. Which again, the gameplay battle gameplay is not great, but one of the Bruja disciplines is celerity which mm. basically is bullet time uh mm-hmm. and it looks matrix like where you put on your you go into celerity and when c- characters are shooting at you like you see like the streams of bullets uh, yeah. that you're dodging. so it's it's very matrix like uh it was actually a very overpowered skill I, I did some guide reading on like how i should build my character because i did i wanted to be relatively efficient and every basically a lot of guides were like play as a bruja and play as put celerity as your discipline because that is one of the most in that game one of the easiest to use because you basically slow down everything and make that is that is a third of all strategy guides from games from two the year 2000 to 2005 yeah you control f bullet time it's probably somewhere in there yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm interested in the second game um like i understand the second game uh who is it even like what is their developer name it's hard suit labs what else have they done is that or is this like a debut thing for them? I think it's a debut. Yeah. yeah. But it's the same yeah, they, uh, Brian Matoda who's original. Yeah. As you're saying what I was going to say, it has the same writer from the original game. So that's 20 years. Oh, the, 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 not 20 years. The guy that looks like Dante from Devil May yes. Cry. <laughs> <laughs> he he uh, has like uh, he has like whitish grayish hair, but he's not like super old. So he kind of uh, and it's got it does look like a Dante like parted look. <laughs> and he also wears like those uh those like reddish blackish uh like finger free gloves <laughs> yeah oh, like, he actually wears those when he's presenting uh, yeah it looks yep. like uh hard suit labs has also made um oh they actually acquired white wolf which is the original uh, they're the uh tabletop oh no game. they purchased the publishing yeah. assets what? they're the uh tabletop oh okay yeah white they wolf made blacklight retribution as yeah. um Wizards of the Coast is the D&D. Yeah. But it looks like Hard Suit Labs has not really done too much. They made a game called Blacklight Retribution, or at least partially made it, which was apparently a pretty bad... Uh, I think it was a shooter. Shooter. First-person shooter. Yeah. yeah. Or no, it, oh yeah. So. Uh, Chris, Chris Avalon is also on Bloodlines 2 in some capacity, because of course he is. <laughs> Human stretch goal? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's what I've been playing. And I think I said pretty much everything I want to say on it. All right, I'm going to tell people that Vampire the Masquerade 2 is being written by Dante now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, uh, I'll hand it off to James, because it sounds like you were just about to talk. So what have you been looking at this last week? Well, Kyle, I've finally been getting back to Final Fantasy fourteen. Finally? Did you see what you did there? Finally. Finally? Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. Anyway, tell me all about it. Where are you? Uh, I am in the middle of the uh, post realm reborn quest chain hell. Um, oh, the, wor- yeah, just, the worst part. Uh, just started 2.4. Uh, ironically enough, 
So what happened with my journey with Final Fantasy XIV is I got like right to the end of uh, A Realm Reborn, like right before like the final quest for that. I was like level 48. <laughs> and then the group I was playing with stopped playing and it kind of just took the wind out of my sails. So mm-hmm. it was only this whole recent like um, pandemic thing that finally I finally sat down and have been like, you know what? I've been paying for the sub. I should actually play this game. Wait, how long have you been paying that for that sub? Don't want to talk about it. Oh man, because <laughs> I've been meaning to get back to it. Like it's like one of those. It's like oh, I'll play it eventually. Oh, I'll play it eventually. Once once you get to Heaven's Ward, you'll be you'll be set. Like they, yeah, the, a Realm Reborn is really rough. Yeah, what I was gonna say though is that I actually think that the patches, the story in the patches, is much better than the base game Realm Reborn storyline, mm-hmm. and. The game really does start to open up once you reach level 50 because the dungeons get much more interesting. The trials mm-hmm. have more mechanics to them. They actually require you to think at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm enjoying it quite a bit now. Um, been uh, been leveling a tank class on the side. Like I when I first played, I was Lancer Dragoon. Mm-hmm. Been trying out uh, Samurai recently because it feels like a lot of the early game... Uh, Dragoon stuff has actually been kind of axed since uh, Shadowbringers came out. So I'm not sure if it's just been pushed back later down the leveling or something, but like some of my utility that I was used to is kind of just gone. And it's like, this is too freaking simple for like where I'm at in the game. They, so. they, they reworked every job um, when Shadowbringers yeah. came out. So that's part of it. Dragoon has a really heavy rotation, especially at the end. They're really fun, but yeah, they, they, that that realm reborn bit i know that they're working on revamping it and i I imagine all they're gonna do is like make it so you gain more experience and make it so um uh certain duties are only four person duties rather than 10 and i think they're just gonna make it shorter because i don't expect them to do a realm reborn a realm reborn you know what i mean like i don't i don't expect to be <laughs> if that was the name specifically yeah anyways <laughs> honestly what i know what would help it a lot is mm-hmm. if they made it so that whenever it asks you to return to the waking sands you just got a pop-up saying do you want to teleport oh, yeah. to the waking sands like don't yeah. even put an aetherite crystal there i understand why there's one not there they explain it in the lore it makes sense but just let you go there yeah yeah because you've got to walk from that little town all the way to the to the waking sands and look even i remember that okay i only played that game for a month when the realm reborn came out i still fucking remember how many times you have to go to the waking sands like it'll never pray return to the waking sands god when you when you one thing you'll i think you'll this happens to a lot of people but especially once you finish Shadowbringers, you'll kind of look back on on a realm reborn and see like a lot of the story stuff that seems relatively simple and everything it like it has a lot more meaning later on and like you'll appreciate things like especially like the climax where you um face off a lot with la habrea and everything like it all comes back around yeah. in a pretty magnificent way it, that, that doesn't mean it's not a pain in the ass um but like I said, eventually, eventually they'll fix that. But yeah, you're right. The the walking from hopping on your mountain, walking for five minutes to even get to fucking Menphilia so she can say, now go to this other side of the planet and do something there too, and then come back. <laughs> and, then, and then the worst part is, is that I'm, I'm not going to say specifics, but when you have a whole freaking like, it's just filler and Costa del Sol, just filler for like a good like five, 10 hours. Mm-hmm. And then you finally return to the Waking Sands 
and that happens and it's like screw you game <laughs> screw you i think uh, yeah a lot of a realm reborn hasn't aged well but i think it was mostly just because they put it together in less than two years and they were just trying to uh, like save the game yeah. <sighs> but, but again like once you get to the patches i feel like people are burnt out once they reach the patches so they're not able to actually notice how the story improves Mm-hmm. But there's definitely still some filler there. Like I had to find some freaking like perfume so this one dude would get on the Chocobo um Chocobo uh, like wagon and it's like really Did you just call that Chocobo? <laughs> I love that. I actually I actually like that too. I think I'm gonna yeah. call it that from now on. <laughs> when I was in middle school, I knew someone who called them chocoboos, and this was like before yes. Final Fantasy X. Yeah. Yeah. So like before it was voiced <laughs> like chocoboos. <laughs> remember when yeah. the term boo was a thing like way back when? Okay. Oh man. I, I used to know someone that called them cocobos. Yes. <laughs> That's just cocoa puffs, man. Yeah, exactly. They're just <laughs> So yeah, um, almost done the patches. Like hopefully this weekend I'll get through um, the two point X patches and actually start up Heaven's Ward. Because uh, one thing I have been doing is I've been kind of taking my time and like checking out some of the Realm Reborn side content. Like I've been going, I've started like doing the Beach Tribe stuff, like the side quests there, um, and a bunch of the other side quests that have the plus next to them that actually have like story content unlock like duties and whatnot mm-hmm. and there's actually some really interesting dungeons locked behind those it's yeah they interesting it's especially if you end up playing the game when you get to the end uh, it's good to have those beast tribes done because you can get really good crafting ingredients and whatnot from them they're still relevant yeah. but yeah been enjoying it like definitely has gone to the point where like i feel like whenever people are put like people play mmos you have to get into rhythm and once you're in the rhythm it's fine but with mm-hmm. final fantasy 14 it's definitely one of those ones that it's especially where i'm at it's hard to get into rhythm just because it's it's bluntly it's a slog it really yeah. is well absolutely they acknowledged it still, too um, plenty of people playing in like those earlier i don't know how the game's divided like if oh yeah totally yeah totally. yeah they it means new zones or whatever like are there people still playing that content along with you yeah 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 uh, they they have like fates and whatnot which are basically like the public events in in guild wars um they have all sorts of stuff that entices people back like the gathering nodes and whatnot the game is not quite like a lot of mmos that like just kind of like throw the content away so to speak like the older stuff so yeah it's it's not quite like that yeah no it's obviously uh, you expect that the volume of people to go down but it's always cool to play stuff that's two three four five years old and you still see people like roaming around some people are current players going back for gathering or whatever yeah players like uh like james Mm -hmm. last night i queued up for the very first alliance raid that was added to the game uh labyrinth of the ancients and i (laughs) as a dps i only had to wait like eight minutes for a queue which means that it's definitely plenty of people still playing yeah the uh, content i feel like it's at its peak right now we don't really know how many people play it like they say like 17 million uh, players but like that's people doing the free weekend stuff well yeah some of the recent press releases have been really awkward and how they uh say it like they say so many accounts and it's like i think it's like how many people have had a subscription at some point but not necessarily active now so it's 
kind of weird. I don't know <laughs> so, how so. much he knows, but Tony seemed to he gave out a number a couple of weeks ago that was lower than I would have expected. He said that the active player base was probably about a million. That just seemed a little low to me. But the problem is, is that what happens if you can't completely open about about how many people are currently playing is that in, invariably people will always compare it to WoW, and if the number is smaller than <laughs> WoW, it, people call it a failure. But WoW is like this unreachable behemoth that like it's just not fair to compare to. Uh, I, I think you should just say what, what I just talked about earlier. If James is able to go to pre-Heaven Sword content and see plenty of people playing the content, wait only eight <laughs> minutes on the longest queue time for that raid, is the game active and alive? Yes. I, I don't really think you need to like... Yeah, to expand on your point too, like that's the reason why Blizzard doesn't report subscriber numbers for WoW anymore either, because they yeah they can't even they can't even compare to their own peak. (laughs) Yeah, their own game. Yeah, like like, I've seen a bunch of people uh, had X million, and now you have Y million. Why is Y less than X, even though the number is still gigantic or whatever? I imagine it's I imagine it's probably an investor thing too, where like people are like, "Why doesn't your game have as many players as Fortnite, huh?" <laughs> like, I, every I've seen people like <laughs> kind of not really, I guess, assuming, but it's like there's been speculation that right now the current final like active Final Fantasy 14 players is higher than regular WoW, but WoW Classic is higher than uh, Final Fantasy 14. That that seems likely because whenever once in a while I, I like just poking around on Twitch just like for games that I don't even play and sometimes I'll go seems like it's always WoW Classic that people are playing rather than <laughs> retail. But what else have you been playing? Is there anything else? Well I've been playing another MMO, Xenoblade Chronicles X. I know it's not actually an MMO, but it might as well MMO. <laughs> but uh yeah, um X or cross, I don't know what what <laughs> I said this last cross. week. We talk, we talk, yeah, we about and I also I also mentioned how it pretty much is an MMO. It just every it's everything except like online, and even then it had an online component at one point. So did they take it out? I I wonder. It was yeah. Weird it had a Meverse connection, and oh, actually okay. every time you boot up the game, it says like, "Sorry, Meverse is gone now." Oh. oh. Yeah. But yeah, well, I, I've I been playing it. I've, um, I've back. I've actually been enjoying it quite a bit. Um, I really enjoyed Xenoblade Chronicles One when I played it, like back on the Wii, and I was super excited for X or Cross, like when it was coming out. But for whatever reason, I just didn't get it at launch and never really got around to it. Um, picked up a used copy, like I'd say six, seven months ago, something like that, and I finally got around to it like partially because like adam started playing it so it reminded me oh yeah i have plenty of time now i can finally play it and also uh the main reason i hadn't played it is i didn't want to touch my wii u and i knew that um semu the uh, wii u emulator has been getting better but i also know that xenoblade x cross uses the gamepad rather heavily so i and like what I understood from a few, like a year or so ago, or maybe a bit longer than that, was that the way that the gamepad used to work on Semu is that you would press a button to switch between the outputs. But I'm not sure when they when they added this uh, option. But eventually, they add an option where if you have multiple monitors, you can actually uh, render the gamepad to a separate window and just have it on a secondary monitor. <laughs> That's weird. 
which actually works really well for Xenoblade because you can just have the like gamepad on like your like I have it on my laptop's main screen. I have the actual like game display on my external monitor right now and it works out really well and honestly i feel like it works out better than using the actual gamepad on the wii u would because you get a better view of the map and you can just and you can just mouse the like use the mouse it's works out really well and i've been enjoying Mm. it quite a bit um i can definitely understand why some people didn't enjoy it compared to xenoblade one i'm only about 10 hours in which is definitely not that much but i'd say i've gotten I've played enough to understand how it differs, like the gameplay loop differs from Xenoblade 1, and it's definitely more focused on the side activities and the side quests. And there is actually like some really interesting story in there and like characterization and whatnot, but you have to go looking for it, and so much of it is like locked behind side quests. And oh my god, when I saw that there was a that Heart to Hearts had like full like side quests attached to them now, it was like <laughs> blew my mind because you didn't even really see that in Xenoblade 2, but you have like these like like story sections with a bunch of different content and then locked to these heart to hearts and then it's like oh my gosh this is just one heart to heart i've seen like six or seven of them already yeah and there are there are actually like character side quests and i mentioned this last week when i was talking about the game there are 18 characters that can join your party in total so that's a lot and each of them has heart to hearts um some of the implementation is weird, but there are certain quests that like actually require you to have, um, like with this character, if you want to do this character quest revolving this character's story, you have to have like a heart level of like three or whatever, and heart to hearts are one of the ways you get up to that. Um, so there, that's what, it actually can be a little bit of work to like, if you want to see all the quests, you kind of have to be buddy buddy with all the characters. Um, but those quests are probably the, one of the best parts of the game. Cause that's where a lot of like the story and characterization is. I forget that, but there's actually oh, missable party members too, right? Um, I don't think there are missable party members. There is one party member and I don't want to spoil it. Uh, yeah. One of the party members is a little bit different from the rest because uh, he's, they are important. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. I definitely feel like if you're the type of person that really enjoyed doing the side activities and exploring in Xenoblade 1 and to a lesser extent too, Xenoblade X is like, again, it's still early for me, but I think that if the exploration and the side quest design keeps up, this might actually be maybe my favorite in the series. I'm enjoying it that much. I I also saw like uh, when you're uh, tweeting about it that like you you seem to like a lot of the flavor text in those side quests too. Like uh, how you respond to things and how it changes up every time you like highlight the other response. Yeah, and a lot of that I'm sure is like mostly in localization, but still enjoyable, so yeah it's an eight it's an eight four localization so it's yeah it's pretty good i I don't think it's one of their strongest ones but it's generally still pretty good overall i enjoy the flavor text but i can also completely understand why maybe some people think it's a bit too punched up i don't know have you met the manon yet uh manon it's it's an alien species you would know if you have so you haven't they have a there's a fun little gimmick that they have i won't it's not really a spoiler thing, but it's just kind of this weird thing. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't. I won't. I know it's vague, but I won't. Lay, I won't say any more than that. Yeah. Have you been to the forest area yet? Uh, I 
Yes. Uh, uh, the, yeah. yeah. I was actually just exploring um, and ran into it on random. I was like, oh, I didn't know that you could just go these places before the story tells you to. Yeah, then, you can pretty uh, much yeah. go everywhere right away if you want and are able to. Like, <laughs> so. Um, I really, I, like also the, really, I really like the Noctilum Day music. It's, oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's it's the very Sawano. I am loving the soundtrack. I know that a bunch of people are very divided on the soundtrack, but for the type of game that Cross is and for the aesthetic that it's going for, I feel like it fits perfectly. Even <laughs> the cheesy as hell New LA uh, <laughs> like yeah. OST I love. It's just... Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it almost sounds like like pseudo fake, sort of bad. Even Michael Jackson at times. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's so cheesy, but in a good yeah. way. Uh, it it still probably ranks super high. I'm on like one of my favorite games to explore ever. Just it's just such a delight to just move yeah. around in. And one of the things that really gets me is since I'm emulating it, I'm able to actually like improve frame rate, improve resolution actually kept decided to keep the frame rate capped to 30 on my laptop because I can hit 60 most of the time, but then there are dips, which does cause some issues. I think once I get back uh, to my desktop eventually, because I'm definitely going to keep playing this for like a good long while. I've heard people say it's got a ton of content. Well, definitely like I said, I sort of just played it off and on for nine months, you know, just kind of yeah. just whenever I had time. I didn't, I didn't want to burn out. Which these sort of games you can, especially if you're being like trying to complete everything and there's a ton of side up activities to do, you could burn out really quickly, which I think a lot of people did when it launched because they played it like a like a classic Xenoblade. But yeah, I I'm not saying you have to play it like I did, but I just sort of just played it in between other games off and on over the course of months. So yeah, but uh, one thing I wanted to say is once you like raise the internal resolution for the game and then there's also options like in like with graphics packs on semi that allows you to uh pull out the uh texture level of detail and the pop in a bit honestly the game looks better than most ps4 games i've played wow. just with, it's really impressive like the density of the environments and like the character models like obviously they're not amazing but they still look really good and I, I don't know. Like, if, honestly, in a lot of ways, it looks better than Final Fantasy fourteen. <laughs> Do you think they're going to make it a Xenoblade X Definitive Edition or anything? I would, I would love them to because if I could have this on a proper handheld, I would love it. But also, it, man, especially since I've been playing it on the emulator with the gamepad view on a separate monitor, I can understand why it would be very difficult to retool the game to work that way because, mm -hmm. like. A big part of the exploration is being able to see on the Frontier nav exactly what you want to do in each of the segments in order to complete them. And also, like, the game, I'd say, is makes really great use of the gamepad. And I'm not sure how much the game would suffer from losing it, because I definitely feel like the game was designed with that implementation in mind. Yeah, so definitely be one of the toughest ones to bring to Switch. Like you could maybe see them maybe just doing a toggle. Like if you're playing on Switch, let's say, like maybe make the L button a toggle between what like the map on the gamepad and then like the the rest of the game that you would normally see on the monitor. But I feel like you that would, would really break all the, the time. 
Yeah, because your the gamepad is very you, you. It's it is basically like having the map with you at all times, which a lot of Wii U games did. But there's a lot more to it than that in terms of like the Frontier Nav uh, probe system, the warp system, and also um, telling you like what the levels are for enemies in each area, like yeah. the current level and whatnot. And, and you're you're using it all the time to navigate. So it, if it was just a toggle on a single switch screen, I think it would be kind of tedious because you'd be toggling all the time. So I'm not exactly sure how you could do that. And it would technically think, be functional, but it would be weird. Well, one of my big worries too is like if they bring it to switches, what are they going to do about the font size? The font size as it is is Wait. very tiny. Oh and yeah, putting on a small <laughs> switch screen is just it's, looking at a dot at some point. Yeah, it's a very small font. You, you sort of get used to it, but it's it, it it does take some getting used to. Yeah, but yeah, um, it's interesting though. Uh, I'm actually really glad that I've started playing it. And uh, I know that it's um, um, Adam and I definitely have different opinions on on emulation, like not necessarily whether it's okay or not, but rather like on whether to play games on the original platform. But I'm definitely glad I'm playing it emulated right now. Like, here's a question: How are the load times on Wii U? Um, well, on the Wii U, you can buy or download. They're not purchased. Uh, like there's that install mode packs that yeah. that basically improve them. So they're not terrible, but I'm sure they're faster. Sorry, I, was it multiple for X? I yeah, really there, I think there's was four more. different ones you can install, and I did. Um, but there are some load times. Yeah, they're not terrible, but I'm sure sure if you're playing on like a solid state drive, they're a lot faster. Yeah, I'm actually curious now because it's like the load times are like almost nothing like i'm, I'm sure you can find comparison videos on like how the load yeah. times are with and without the the data, pack data packs packs yeah i'd be interested yeah, to see them again yeah i'm just curious now though like i have yeah. run into like some and like i'd say for the most part it doesn't get in the way of the experience like there's like some weird like very very minor texture things in play in certain sections but like the majority of New LA has no graphical issues. And then the only other thing I've run into is that, and this is really weird, when you're swapping out equipment on your party members, when you're mousing over certain equipment, it causes a slight flickering issue on the screen, but not when you're highlighting certain other equipment. So it's like inconsistent. Hmm. So like. It's not, it really isn't that bad. Like, just go in there, like, swap out really quick. Now, now you're giving Adam uh, ammunition. Like, uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't have anything against emulation. I just personally just like, yeah. I like this. I want to play it as it originally was, just to sort of see how it originally was, um, rather than like a souped up version of it, which might, by all accounts, be better or improved. But I just sort of like playing this is how it was when it released as it was originally, even if it's worse. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Even though, I guess, it is sort of weird how, like, Vampire the Masquerade, I <laughs> did use the unofficial patch, so maybe I'm just being hypercritical. But, but, but you were also using the minus patch, which is supposed to be... Yeah. Like, yeah, you're, you're just trying to make it run on a modern machine at some yeah, point. Yeah, it actually was kind of weird. Like, when you first load up the game, when I first loaded up the game before the patch, like, the default resolution is, like, 800 by 600. Hell, and yeah. Playing on a 4K monitor, it's like, <laughs> what is this? 
And the patch like immediately like, oh, hey, now it can actually fit my 4K monitor and render in 4K. And hey, it actually looks pretty decent in places. It's a so. video game now. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome to hear. I always, right. I always enjoy Xenoblade X talk and feeling more and more justified about my love for it. Yeah, I'm probably going to go right back to playing it after this podcast. <laughs> so, Josh, you're the last one on the list. What have you been looking at this last week? Yeah, the, I mean, I've been looking at some stuff, but I can't talk about some stuff for a bit. But in the meantime, I can talk about this One Step from Eden game that I picked up about a week ago, at least maybe a week or so ago. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, game. I know it's been kind of kicking around here and there in some early access form, but now just officially like launch-launched for real. And this is um, this weird uh, mixture between Slay the Spire, which I freaking love, and Mega Man Battle Network, which I freaking love. So I'm like, okay, well, I like both of these things a lot. So uh, having them come together uh, should be like a really cool thing. So for people who don't know, Mega Man Battle Network is uh, takes place on like, uh, I forgot how many grids. Was it a 3x3 three three or 4x4 four four or whatever? Uh, turn-based style. Uh, type of thing where you're facing off against the enemy, like in a the, almost looks like a fire emblem um, layout where you're facing the enemy before you attack. But since you're like uh, confined with this within this grid, you can like go around it when it's your turn. And you have these chips, and these chips are like your attacks and how you kind of deal damage uh, to things at the other side, which is the enemy. And you kind of go back and forth between trying to dodge their attacks as you're trying to, you know pull out uh, your attacks and whatnot. So it's all about, like, you know, attack pattern memorization uh, mixed with uh, strategical elements on how you kind of take down enemy as it's trying to take you, take you Can down. Can we step back a second here? Yeah. So I have actually heard of this game, like, murmured here and there in places, like, oh, one step from Eden. Mm -hmm. And you gave a decent just intro there of, like, what it looks like. But I guess, to be blunt, like, where did this game come from and what is it? I don't. Like, I don't I exactly sort of know it. where it came from. I know it was mainly developed by one person. I, I think there was some outsourcing here and there. I'm not a thousand percent sure whether whether its origins. I just know it's like an indie game that came out, and I know a lot of people spoke about it here and there because a lot of people have that Mega Man Battle Network itch, and no one's really gone for it because it's kind of a weird thing. How do you modernize it? How do you bring it back without necessarily copying it? Uh, so I don't know exactly where One Step of Eden come uh, came from. It just it was out I there, actually, and I was like, "Oh, this looks cool." I actually saw this first on like a PC centric Discord, where like it was just like Steam release of the week or whatever, and like people were actually pretty excited about it. And it's not really like a typical PC game, whatever that means, but it's not what I generally think of. But it just kind of showed up in late March, and people were like talking about it, like, "Oh, it's like those Mega Man series of games, the Battle Network ones." And I don't have any, like, I haven't played that, so I don't have the um, background or the foundation for what that means. Yeah, those are, like, uh, all Game Boy Advanced, I believe. Yeah, I, yeah. I just saw people talking about it in on an avenue where I wasn't really expecting it. But it's got, you know, so it's on Steam and Switch, I believe? Yes. Is that what you said? You uh, played it on Switch? I, I played it on PC. Uh, I, oh. I haven't touched the uh, Switch port yet. I, it'd be weird because it's very, it's very movement-focused. So to, to back up a little bit, um, so it's the Mega Man Battle Network in, in, in terms of like how it actually plays on paper. Um, its progression is like Slay the Spire, where it's like a roguelite, uh, rogue where you go through these stages, you kind of have this these branching paths of like, hey, uh, you start here, 
you can go down this top lane, middle lane, or uh, bottom lane, and then uh, these all link into other other sections of the map until you reach a boss. So you can kind of like map out like, hey, I want to get to this like shop down the road, but I have to take these lanes to get to that shop. So and then and then to get done with the stage, you uh, fight the boss and you go into the next area. Uh, and along the way, like Slay the Spire, you start out with this deck of cards or spells in, in this game. And you kind of do a lot of, uh, I'll just call it cards for now for, for to make the comparison of like deck building and whatnot. So like in Slay the Spire, you have these cards where they're like, you know, can get, get you a defense, like a shield or attack spells, all different kinds of attack spells. Like you can go focus on like, say, inflicting poison or inflicting uh, AOE damage. Or you have like crazier spells, like you throw out mines at every portion of the enemy's field uh, but you only uh have a, a maximum of two spells with you at any given time out in combat and then after you use those spells it'll shuffle your deck into the next like row of spells uh, and then after you're all done using up those spells it'll actually do like a, a whole shuffle of your deck which will take a, a little bit more time and then you try to uh unleash your spells again and uh a lot of it is kind of thinking about um, chemistry between what uh, your cards and how you want to balance, you know, offense versus defense. And uh, you can take you can take out cards out of there for a resource. You can upgrade them for a resource. Uh, so like you'll have these items that like take them out, but they're all very restrictive. You can use this item to upgrade this, these cards, and it'll like it, these upgrades are it can be like oh it'll do double the damage, but it'll, you'll use more of your mana. Did you want to say something, so... Adam? When you're playing, like in the middle of a combat sequence, mm -hmm. are the, is it like a card-based RPG where the cards you get are just from your deck randomly? Like yeah, in like a, yeah, like it actually like shuffles okay. through your deck and, and you're you're I've, I've always two. liked. Sorry, I interrupted you there. Yeah, but, go for it. Uh, I always have liked combat systems like that because I feel like it's a good mix of there's a preparation involved. Like you have to build your deck. And there's also a probability of luck factor involved too. And I think if you focus too much on luck, then it's not very fun because then it's just luck of the draw. But I feel like having just a smidge of it is good. Um, but the fact that you can actually prepare your deck ahead of time to try to give yourself the best chance, um, I just I think that's a really good balance in that you're sort of working with a little bit of preparation, a little bit of luck, and you have to like work dynamically in the middle of combat to to do the best with what you're given, and that's one reason yeah, why I really like games. Carby Dent style. Yeah, that's that's one reason why I like really really like games like Baton Kaidos Origins. Mm -hmm. It's just the, it's, it has this dynamic feel to it where you actually have to you can't just d deterministically say I'm just going to do this first and this second and this third and I'll win every battle because you can't not every battle is going to be different. Uh, depending on how you draw cards so you kind of have to manage it and i really really like that just that concept broadly yeah and it's also like you can really if you have if you know the cards like by heart eventually in this game you can make some pretty cool things just like in slay the spire because after every time you beat a stage like uh you'll you'll be presented with like three cards and like you can either you know take one of them or you can just skip it all together so you can start like formulating in your head like okay i want to try this kind of deck so if these three cards don't match like the the kind of deck I'm building. You can skip that decision altogether, because the the resource to 
manually remove cards from your deck at the moment is very restrictive. They'll give you like one item uh, of it uh, from the get-go, but then the, to get additional one of those, you have to go visit the shop, and it's fairly expensive to get those items to remove cards uh, from the shop. Um, so you kind of have to, as you learn the game more, you need to have a better idea of like, okay, this is what I'm trying trying to go for. Uh, but unlike the Mega Man Battle Network games, uh, those games were was turn based. So like, you you pick your chips and then you go. Like uh, this one, you're always on go. There's no like, uh, it's not turn based in this one. It's all action. So as you're dishing out damage, you're constantly moving to avoid enemy attacks. So you're kind of there's a lot to keep track of. Like there'll be attacks that like uh, put an exclamation mark on a tile saying, "Oh, they're about to attack here." Or there'll be like things they toss out in your field and it'll show like AOE markers, like a lot of exclamation points at once saying, avoid this zone because there, uh, there's an attack that's going to hit these zones. Or like in, uh, or there'll be attacks that like break tiles and you can't go to, you can't go to that tile for a set amount of time until it recovers. So it's even more chaotic than those old Mega Man, Mega Man Battle Network games. And I don't know how I feel about that yet. They're trying to mitigate like the issue at the moment that everyone, a lot of people have, where uh, this is especially true for bosses, where they dish out attacks and there's really no like grace period before they do it again. So like, say you have this um, boss that like the literally teleports behind you and tries to slash you, and then like you and then it'll do it again, and then like you know that pattern. It's like okay, they're gonna go here and here, and then when they go back on the, on their field. Uh, sometimes it feels like there's very little to no grace period on like where you can actually hit them again before they do that attack again. So it'll be like, oh, I'll do this attack that you can't hit me for, and then I'll go back to my field, and you have barely maybe half a second to, to like get a hit in before I do it again. So th there are issues like that uh, that they're, they're still tweaking it. That like it's still a very ongoing process, which is very nice. Uh, seeing like you know they're making improvements. So you said this was early access, but now it's like a it's not a full release. release. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they're still tweaking. Okay, they're still tweaking. You know, yeah, they're, they're still that, that line. That 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 line between like what when is the game done? Yeah, what does one point mm -hmm. mean? Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Really, like they could they could if they wanted to to still call it an early access. But it, like when is it when you consider a game one point these days? And even even games that are released at retail get patched right away. Like mm -hmm. like yeah. Neo Two has gotten several patches already. You know, that's just how it is now. <laughs> Neo 2 is on like 1.08 or something. Yeah. It's like so, crazy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've been talking about this. Uh, I actually have the Steam page open and it has like the developer mm -hmm. stream on it. And like while, uh, while Josh was talking about like the AOE markers and constantly having to move, that's like exactly what I'm watching. And I see the character's yep. health bar like dipping, but then he then he walks over. I can't. It's so hectic. I'm I'm trying to still parse it. Yeah. At it before. That's the, the, that's it's also the big learning process of this game. Yeah, like his health's it, nearly bottomed out, but then he's like walking over certain tiles to bring it back up and then deal damage and then avoid the flare, fire and then like the enemy threw some bombs. He's got a very nice fluid art style. It's I'm enjoying just simply just standing here watching it while you're talking about it. Mm -hmm. and, and it's also like there's a learning period and also the visual chaos. Like it, in the first stage, it's it's fine. Like in the first maybe two to three worlds, it's fine. But once you get like to like like the world four and, and so on, like the deeper you go, there is so much visual chaos going on that it's like I don't know. It feels it feels overwhelming for me at the moment because I I'm not like I don't have a lot of hours put into it. 
but there's just a shitload of things going on at any given time with those later stages that like you're you're it's more you're more worried about like dodging the next thing over than just like oh what what cards do i have right right now it's just like you're just kind of throwing them out seeing what the what they are it's like okay i just need to like dodge this and throw out whatever i have and hopefully they were in the line of fire that's my mental process at the moment before i'm I'm sure there's still a lot to learn in that there's also like like, um ongoing progression as well you can unlock different characters that have their own different style of like attacking so like there'll be this other character that like summons like spells from like the sky your default character just has like bullets coming out of them with their normal attack um and all these characters have like uh, separate like outfits I don't know if the the outfits do anything or if they're just uh, cosmetic and whatnot. You unlock new cards once you like uh, uh, level up your account in the game as well, and that's just by like you know going through runs. So it's a it, it's it, it's an overwhelming game, but it feels rewarding when you like complete like a decent like run that like you you come away with it and felt like hey like I learned something. It is the kind of these are the kind of guard cards I like. Like, and you start getting a better idea of like what's your play style in it. Of course, you're you're gonna mix it up as you go, keep on going along, but it feels nice just knowing that you learn something new. And I think the the one thing I wish they had, or hopefully they add down the road, is like a boss practice mode because there'll be bosses that you encounter um, that like you just simply don't know what they do, and it sucks. Like, say I got to like world eight or something, and I. I'm, uh, saw this boss and I have no idea what their gimmick is. So you just kind of die right there without learning anything because they killed you so fast. Like you know, there, there's this character that's basically a rhythm game where they like tap notes on the ground and you've already been trained to like, hey, if they like put something on your field, it's most likely going to damage you. And this one, and for this boss, you have to like follow the notes as they uh, appear because they'll get, give you armor to survive the big wave attack that they're about to push out after that. And that, that's something that's like you just have to like learn as you do it. I mean, if you if you die, do you can you restart right there? No, or it's a, it's a roguelike, like, so you have to start over. Oh, yep. so that so that really sucks. It's yes. like, well, I died to that boss. I don't even know what I was doing yet. Yes, okay. and you have to start over with a new run. And then, uh, uh, so th- yeah. th- there's still there's still it's still a work in progress, but it's, it's a very fascinating game. Like I I love the the overall look. I love the way it feels. How responsive it feels. And, and the soundtrack is awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm watching on mute, so I can't see the soundtrack. But the pl- the player in the stream just died to some boss character that was wearing like a green beret and spamming like icicles. I don't know if that means anything. Yeah. Like maybe probably. This looks very hectic and chaotic, and definitely a skill you gotta you gotta you know work on as you iterate yeah. through the different runs and slowly learn the, the proper techniques and you know what you need to put in your deck to, to counteract specific bosses. I, I, I'm always up for like people fall, like you know going following the Slay the Spire formula because I love Slay the Spire to death. So if anyone like is trying to like do what they're doing in terms of regression, I'm like, okay, I gotta I gotta at least check this game out because I love Slay the Spire that much. So that is another step from the <laughs> One step from eating mm-hmm. on Steam and Switch, at least. Yes. You, you just gave them the sequel name. Another step from eating. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Kyle, while you're here, was there any other game that you played recently that you want to talk about before we get into the topics? 
you can mm. talk a little bit about like Resident Evil. I don't know. You, you can. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I want to hear a little bit of Resident Evil Three. <laughs> okay, I know. I wasn't sure if I should bring it up because it's not sure. an RPG, but so I played. Uh, I played our Resident Evil Three, and as everyone here knows, I'm a big Resident Evil head. I think yeah, literally all of you were there when. Uh, E3 two years ago when they announced the RE2 remake or showed it off and I was like this is the remake specific, right not the original yeah 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 okay. and and I was freaking out in our tiny little oh. cramped uh, yeah. hotel room because and then that turned out to be an amazing game I was uh, the original Resident Evil 2 is one of my favorite games and I do think that the remake is better and I think they did an incredible job of modernizing it and keeping the soul of it and yeah, it was excellent. Now, <clears throat> Resident Evil Three. Oh, um, well, I'm not. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I'm not going to try and be too much of a downer. But I think this is like the most disappointing I've been disappointed I've been in a game in a long time. Um, the so like just to give you an example. So like Resident Evil Two remake, it modernized the classic survival horror like play style that was in the old games in the sense that it created a combat style and a, the over-the-shoulder camera well it didn't create those but it put implemented those into resident evil 2 and modernized them and made the police station have a much bigger much greater layout like the police station in resident evil 2 remake plays is a lot it's a lot like a, del a zelda dungeon really um just lots of looping in on itself and it was fun and mr x was incredible uh just because he was like this persistent like threat that followed you around and one of the reasons i was so excited for resident evil 3 is um nemesis in the original resident evil 3 was kind of like the proto mr x in the remake i'm sorry this is kind of confusing but he was really relentless in the original game he would chase you through environments he would he had a rocket launcher he would pick you up and throw you he'd beat the crap out of you now in resident evil 3 remake you know what they did to Nemesis? Rather than update him like they did with Mr. X, they just turned him into a bunch of set pieces. No. Um, yeah, I so... I don't want to hear that. <sighs> so there is a tiny sliver of the beginning of the game where he kind of follows you around like Mr. X, and he does have like a little more elaborate moveset, but he's also a wimp. Like, like he's so, he's so easy to take out. Like, um, even on hard, like I, I've already started a hard playthrough. And like a single grenade will down Nemesis, and you'll That's get That's crazy. Yeah, and he took a lot of your ammo back in the day in the original to take him down. Like the oh yeah, time. oh yeah, he was terrifying. He, yeah. It was it was hard to kill him. Now it's it's so easy. Um, oh. and it's it's it just kills the tension. And so I'm kind of like jumping all over the place, but the opening bit of the game is pretty good. Um, it. It is kind of like a more expanded look at the city than what you see in Resident Evil 2, where Resident Evil 2, you're just in the, pardon me, the police station, and then you go to the lab, et cetera, et cetera. But um, in 3, you're kind of on the streets uh, of Raccoon City as the outbreak is happening, the zombie outbreak. There's zombies in Resident Evil, if you didn't know, my dear listener. Huh. Um, <laughs> one sec. No way. So um, the... The thing is, is after you get through this opening little bit, which is only like an hour long, um, it becomes more like an Uncharted or something like that, where it's like different set pieces come up, and each time you see Nemesis, he's just got a new form, and 
like when he shows up with his iconic rocket launcher, all it is is a sequence where um, you run and you see a laser pointing at you and you have to like duck out of the way as he's shooting rocket. It's not like a an organic thing that the enemy does. Um, he's not he's not organic like at all like Mr. X. Um, he's all situational and all set pieces and and yeah and a wimp. Um, uh, I beat the game in about one sitting, uh, I, which I don't mind that it's short at all, but it doesn't have very much replay value. Like there's not multiple paths like before. Um, uh, a lot of the a lot of it like you don't really explore it is like when i say uncharted what i mean is like you know when you play like an uncharted or geez a call of duty game like that modern triple a like let's get to the next area and you just yeah. kind of go through it you know what i mean like you're funneled through a straw it's very scripted it's a very scripted game um and it really uh, unlike the resident evil 2 remake which i have to reiterate the original resident evil 2 is one of my favorite games ever um, and I do think that the remake of that is better than the original. Uh, in this case, like some people are like, oh, you're comparing it to the Resident Evil 2 remake. That, that was so incredible and it's not fair. And I'm like, uh, I mean, maybe, but I'm, I'm saying like, I would not even recommend playing this over the original Resident Evil 3. Um, I hear there was also like cut content of this too. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. There's whole sections that are gone. Um, it's a shorter game than the original. Like there's... It kind of just like crammed a couple areas together. So like in the res the original, um, there was like uh, a hospital, and then there was like a garbage dump factory, and they kind of combined those into one now. Um, oh, in the hospital and garbage dump factory, and you they combined those. Yeah, I know it's kind of it, they're okay. they're just like oh, below the hospital is another lab, and that's okay. <laughs> that's all they say. Um, um, now, some people do really like it, so if anyone's listening and they are still interested, like you maybe you'll like it more than I did, but I was I was really disappointed, and or I am really disappointed. And how's the actual uh, gunplay and like enhancements to the, to the gameplay, like the way they modernized it? Does it feel uh, better? I mean, it definitely feels better in that sense. Um, but I also don't think the enemies take very like a good example is like Resident Evil uh, Three, the original. Um, Something that you kind of got rewarded for if you beat Nemesis is he would drop weapon parts. And first thing I did is like, okay, I want to see how hard it is to kill Nemesis. And I threw one grenade and then he was down. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, what? Um, and then he dropped a weapon piece. But anyways, up, in terms of updating uh, the formula, so like you do get weapon upgrades, which were from the original, but it feels a little more tactile now. Like something that's kind of... Like, you can get a laser sight for your pistol, and you can get an extended mag that makes it so you hoard more bullets, and you're constantly kind of, like, upgrading your weapons. And there's not too many weapons. I think there's... I think I encountered four or five on my first playthrough, unless I'm totally forgetting something. I think there's five, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in a survival horror game, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but... Because um, it's just kind of a shame, because, like, he nemesis when he is just chasing you is pretty cool like he'll like it unlike mr x where he just follows you nemesis will like leap in front of you and then swerve around and be like oh, nope you're not getting away and he'll like pull out his tentacle and he'll like pull you back um towards him and he can he has a more expanded moveset but again you barely see it um there was something they added because 
they added a dodge mechanic, which again was in the original, but they made it a lot more streamlined here, where like you just press a button and you can do it. Whereas before you had to like time it with enemy hits and it was really bad, honestly. Um, and I do like that. And if you execute a perfect time maneuver, it's funny you mentioned bullet time earlier, because all I could think of is you get bullet time in Resident Evil 3 when you dodge perfectly. Um, so it does it definitely plays better um in, in most respects, but it also just it just it just feels like something that I saw a Wired article talking about this, and it kind of feels it almost feels like you're speed running the game when you're not speed running. Like that's how huh. it goes by, and that's how fast you go through an area. Like uh, sometimes you swap over to Carlos, who is like the other Jill is the protagonist of the game, and then Carlos is the 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 other guy the uh, the other what the other lead whatever <laughs> and, and sometimes you just like take over as him and like his his sections are especially action heavy like he has like a, a machine gun and you just kind of like mow everything down and I'm like oh, this is really um but it um I just I really miss like Resident Evil games are at their best when you're in an environment and you are like a police station or like the mansion from the original. And you are just like kind of solving the Rubik's cube of that area, um, and Resident Evil Three does not have that, and it goes, it, it just it just feels like such a step down from the original. Do you think they were are like it was? I'm not gonna say impossible, but do you think it was like it was very just like difficult to capture that because that that's what that's what makes Resident Evil Resident Evil in my mind what are like iconic locations that are very fleshed mm-hmm. out that you operate in. For the majority of the game, I'm sure they have sewers and whatnot, but for the most part, like Resident Evil Three was a big, big, you know, change for the series. Yeah, Yeah. it's partly that, but I also think um, it should be noted that Capcom actually another studio outside of Capcom made this game, not uh, an internal team. It was oh god, I'm forgetting their name, Um, but they. Something like that, yeah, yeah, you're right. And it was, uh, they're actually former Platinum people, which if you play, you can totally see that. Like some of the Nemesis boss fights, like you're waiting for Bayonetta to show up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I I won't harp on it too much, but I was pretty disappointed. And I'm starting a hardcore playthrough because I thought like, okay, maybe he Nemesis is not easy or too easy on normal. Like some, often I will, play a game on normal for my first playthrough because i don't know what it's going to be like um but even on hard he's he's such a wimp uh and it it just is kind of like the antithesis of how remember mr x memes last year how much everyone was terrified by him mr x is like the complete opposite or nemesis is the complete opposite he's just like oh look it's It's like they swapped places with the remakes yeah exactly exactly it's it's really unfortunate i I'm still kind of processing it because all all of this is very like fresh in my mind and whatnot. And I think the developers were like concerned that they didn't want to over inconvenience the player, like they they were giving him too I, much of a leash or something. I think that they it just it, it when you if you play it, I feel like it just it just feels like it's too much like a modern plays too much like a modern triple A campaign for lack of a better like like i said i always draw i just drew comparisons to like uncharted and there's a lot of kind of like handholdy like that and like Jill oscar mike 
yeah things like that um and yeah like there's one scene that was like straight up out of like a call of duty game where um your play as carlos and you have to defend jill for a reason i won't say why and you zombies just keep breaking in through all the windows and you grenades will spawn and like there's like those little you know like in like a lot of AAA games i'm not trying to hate on AAA games but like where it's like oh here's like ammo cart where you pick up ammo while yeah. conveniently like you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> conveniently while the enemies are coming in there's like that kind of thing and it's just kind of like i mean it's it's i just wish it could i think it could have been so much more and it's unfortunate but and i'm not again not trying to be too dour but yeah i was pretty disappointed i am pretty disappointed. Kyle, that's not the only resident evil game that came out this week though oh resistance i actually really like it really um, it oh yeah i mean i really love kind of like trashy asymmetrical horror games <laughs> um so this is kind of like my jam like i play it a lot with uh nat from the site and um it's kind of hilarious because like the so like what this the this resident evil resistance is a uh free multiplayer mode that comes with resident evil 3 and um you play as like a group of survivors in like a locked um uh like death trap scenario where like there's an umbrella scientist and he's like um like it's very over the top like he's he's basically like whenever like a a bad guy is french in anything and he's like he literally talks like this it's like you americans you you how you say are about to get owned like he literally talks like that (laughs) yes and it's actually like really hokey and hilarious in a fun way and Funnily enough, the mastermind can like spawn Mr. X and take control of him. And you have like little simple objectives to get from one part of the map to the other. And and I think a lot of people don't like it, but I love like crappy asymmetrical horror games. So it's totally for me. So one one player plays against the the survivors like Dead by Daylight stuff? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's four survivors, and then, then there's one. The mastermind is the antagonist, and he's trying to like he's a bit overpowered. Like he can spawn liquors and zombies, and um, something that's really fucking hilarious that always makes me and my friends laugh is because it's a, it's a Resident Evil game, remember? And then for some reason, one of the mastermind's abilities is just to, to shoot bullets out of the security camera he's viewing from, and it just looks hilarious. So you're just suddenly like getting shot by this camera. It's again. Probably not great, but I really like it. It's it's very much a like goofy, have a laugh with your friends kind of mm-hmm. game. Yeah. So, believe it or not, I actually like the goofy multiplayer thing more than the main game. Wow, that's that's something. Mm-hmm. But I've talked for a while, so. So I'm still, I'm still I'm still crossing my fingers for a new Resident Evil outbreak, though. Oh right, outbreak back in the day when I was like in like oh. junior high, I used to love that game. It was. Good. I remember on the load times on it were like hilariously bad on the PS2 if you didn't have a hard drive. But yeah. All right, so Resident Evil Three out this week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm glad I didn't review that one because I. There you go. Yeah. Now, hopefully, Square does a better job with the the Final Fantasy VII remake. Yeah, but it's next, Code Veronica. Oh, and I don't know if they'll actually remake anything else. Uh, a lot. Okay, last thing on Resident Evil. Sorry for taking over this RPG podcast with Resident Evil Tie. So, 
the thing about Resident Evil 4, because a lot of people are talking about, when are they going to make remake Resident Evil 4? It's like, that game is so tight and so well done that I honestly don't know what a remake would do. I wouldn't know what a remake would do. Like, they already tried remaking it with Resident Evil 5, and that didn't work. And then Shinji Mikami, the director of 4, tried to make Resident Evil 4 again with Evil Within, and that didn't work. Um, I think a lot of ways Resident Evil 4 is such a perfect game because it's almost an accident how well it turned out in some ways. Not to say the team didn't work hard, but um, other than new graphics, I can't imagine what would make that game better in a remake. That's that's my thoughts we on it. We actually talked about this briefly on a previous cast. Like A good game remains a good game. Even if you play it, like mm-hmm. I was playing a game from 2004, and you could say that Vampire the Masquerade in some places is not a good game because because of you know production mm-hmm. issues. But even if it no longer looks modern or sounds modern because of visuals or production values, you kind of acclimate to that. And I think doesn't it have like a re- okay? So this is this is a can of worms, but Resident Evil 4 feels like it's on every platform under the sun. Did it get mm-hmm. like a PS4 release? Yep. Or like a modern console release. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on everything. <laughs> so yeah, so, so it's not like you're. It's not like if you're asking someone to play Resident Evil Four that you're telling them to pull out their GameCubes and go. To yeah, the- exactly. Get it's funny. I saw a hilarious meme that was like, uh, Capcom. It, it showed. It said, um, Capcom headquarters when they hear there's going to be new consoles. It just shows like them like a bunch of suits like rubbing their hands together, looking at porting Resident Evil Four again. <laughs> But yeah. but that that game still plays so well that I do not think it needs a remake. Like as much as I love two and three, like those are really old, dated games, and I understand why there's a remake. But four, I don't. I think you're just inviting people to say, uh, "Yeah, the original is a lot better." You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw some people say, I forget whether it was Twitter or a forum, but they're like, "Well, there's still some things you can fix or polish up." But I don't know if we should be looking. No, at these it's a perfect game. Or- like we should look at these things like flawed things that we are, are obligated to touch up every 10 years that's like the george lucas effect like i don't know like if that's really a good thing in every case. i don't know it, can, it is a really great segue for our first story <laughs> yeah story. there we go yeah there we go <laughs> what's what's new in the yeah. news well two things first uh little little side notes one we do just so you know kyle we do spend a decent amount of time talking about non-rpgs like we've spent time in the last couple of weeks talking about uh the new ori game and animal Ooh. crossing because i because obviously we all we all play and all doom from all over the place yeah and doom doom's an rpg i think i think i only i mostly came up with the disclaimer just because like i can really get going on horror games right. if you get me yeah. started yeah. so sure. i have no disclaimers for whatever i get into <laughs> But we do also so. have uh, one new uh, review up on the site from the last week. It's a smaller one. It's the console port of Element Space, which is a tactical RPG that released on PC last year. I don't know much about this, but it looks kind of like a, very much like an XCOM, like grid-based, tactical, squad-based, you know, RPG. Uh, and unfortunately, Danny, our reviewer, didn't think the console port was very good, and the original PC game wasn't well reviewed in the first place. So it just sounds like. Unless unless you've already played through your your XCOMs and maybe you're like your wastelands and you really want to try something else in a different sort of setting, you can try Element Space. But otherwise, she didn't really think too highly of it. But it's up on the site, and of course, everyone is free to form their own opinions. 
And then, of course, the most important topic of the week as we go into that section of the podcast is that The Last of Us Part Two has been delayed indefinitely. How do we feel about that? I, uh, it's going to be really I, weird that Final Fantasy VII Re- is like the only guaranteed new release past like this month that's, that we I, know for sure is going to be releasing on time. Final Fantasy VII Remake is the final video game coming out forever. Did you know that? And and, and it's only the first part, so... <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it ironic as all hell that right now the only game for sure that we know isn't delayed is a Final Fantasy VII Remake? It's... I mean, on The Last of Us, like... Like, I'm trying not to, like, think too much about um, everything burning in the world right now, but... Like, isn't it surreal to think a game as big as The Last of Us is getting delayed indefinitely? Like, like actually, when has that ever happened? And it's not because the game is in development trouble. It's because, like, they can't manufacture the discs. Like, isn't that crazy? Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's also some, like, people saying, like, well, they don't, they don't want to release it when people aren't working or can't, can't buy it. Yeah, and obviously I don't, I don't want to sound too like cynical, like oh they just want the sales numbers to be super high, but like obviously it's like, probably like, true though. You know, yeah, like like the, you don't have to even be like cynical about it. Like they've that that's the one game that that studio has been working on since Uncharted Four, right? And since before then, probably. Uh, oh so yeah. It's been, like they've got years baked into years of development time baked into this, and to release it in the middle of such an uncertain time, I I have no immediate like kickback saying like oh they shouldn't delay it they should release it early yeah i do kind of see like during this during this stay-at-home quarantine pandemic time people say like oh everyone should just release their games early but that kind of like puts the onus on the developers like ignoring like they're all working on weird circumstances themselves they've got their own timetables that are upended and now yeah you got people on twitter telling them oh just just move everything forward and release it now like you saw that with yeah the- yeah just flip a switch you know just like it's not how easy it is you know it's like yeah yeah they're a little bit you know more complicated behind the scenes probably maybe but, you know? yeah yeah if you're if you're someone that thinks that they should just flip a switch and release it like like it's just to be kind of terse like like try to have heart like things are pretty scary right now and like quite frankly i don't care what gets delayed as long as you know you know what you know what i want to come out this year <laughs> a vaccine i don't really care about video games as much you know <laughs> like i would gladly trade trade all video games for a vaccine yeah this fucking virus <laughs> so like yeah. it's one of those things where um it's just it's uh, I'm sure all of you have had this moment at some point because I think everyone and everyone listening has had this at one point. But it, this is just a really some an unprecedented point in history, and it uh, you can't escape it. You know, like I went to the grocery store earlier today, and like seeing no one in my city of a million people around is like, wow, this is chilling. But it's it's unusual circumstances, and I actually, had, to go- I have a weird anecdote for this. Uh, What's that? So- I finally, I work at a place my, for my day job where I have to like get special access to, a, to specific buildings. Um, mm-hmm. Only go enter certain places if you've got the right like credentials. And I finally got mm-hmm. them for a specific building that I want to work in. And then like the day I got that permission, I head to the door and they turn me around and say, "You had a positive case in here. We're shutting it down." And I'm just oh, like, wow. "Oh boy!" 
Like so that's not, <laughs> oh. like that's the closest I've gotten where I'm literally told go home, work from home. Like even though my job, I still had to be like you know essential. Like I had to show up. They said, mm-hmm. nope, today we're shutting down the building. Go home. I'm just like, oh geez. So that's yeah, the it's touched me closest. You know. Yeah, it's. I saw someone to bring it back to the Last of Us. I saw someone uh, uh, deposit the idea that they are delaying it also to try and coincide with a PS5 release. I don't know if any of you buy into that, but I could totally see it like where they do the where they do the like Zelda thing that Nintendo did where like a they've delayed a Zelda to launch with the new console, you know that, what I mean? That's weird because PS5 is going to be PS4 Pro compatible. compatible. So it just it just feels weird that if you're making a PS5 version of a PS4 game like mm-hmm. there's gonna be you're gonna have to make a, a i don't even good trust case. that next gen is going to release this year still oh no i don't i don't yeah, think I don't it will i mean the whole reason why they're delaying the last of us 2 indefinitely is because they one aren't sure if they're going to be able to print enough and ship enough discs well consoles take up much larger spaces when being shipped not to mention that we're looking at like <laughs> The joke I keep making is, why couldn't we have had a second Roaring Twenties before a second Great Depression? Because that's what we're looking at here. Like, unemployment levels are, like, skyrocketing. Like, people need to have money to be able to buy next-gen consoles. And it just... Oh, I... I, Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's just, like... And, like, everything we've been seeing, like, these... Like, for better or worse, these new consoles are actually pushing the envelope in a way that I'd say that PS4 and Xbox One weren't, necessarily. Like, we've got near-top-end CPUs, near-top-end GPUs, finally having SSDs. Like, it's a huge jump to to the extent that it's much more significant than the jump from PlayStation 3 to PlayStation 4, Xbox 360 to Xbox One, and that incurs a cost and it's like i think most people were expecting oh yeah it was gonna be fine but like nobody could have foreseen this pandemic like becoming coming mm-hmm. yeah it's so. i i 100 agree and th- this is not me sharing news or something but i i would be shocked if both those consoles even come out this year um i just don't see I it happening inc- i think incidentally Last of Us might end up getting delayed and releasing alongside a console, maybe, but uh, my gut tells me that that wasn't the intent. It might happen as fallout of everything else, but I don't think that that was the, the driving decision. It, even even if we live in some magical circumstance land where somehow both PS5 and Xbox Series X somehow managed to release this year, like I don't know exactly what that means for the the state of release titles. If these release titles probably won't get the like the the ideal resources they they need to like ship physically well yeah because like just just as like like i'm totally ignorant of manufacturing but like like where are these even going to be manufactured like for example like i can't even leave my country right now uh because the border's closed Mm -hmm. so what if these consoles are manufactured you know i'm like like where's where are playstations manufactured do any of us know China. China, all of them yeah. are China. from China. So yeah, so yeah, imagine trying to export them all to North America. Like, is that even possible right now? It, you know, it, it is. Like, trade is still happening. Yeah, like, yeah. For, for certain, like you know, industries because mm-hmm. uh, essential. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, infrastructure wise and business wise, you know. So I mean, not not everything is shut down in terms of 
that mm-hmm. aspect, but you know, for for us people who like who travel leisurely and whatnot, like, yeah, so, like for example, for example, my, my mom works at, like uh, on an, on charter airlines, like she's a, a flight attendant, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but she can still she can still travel to most places, but uh, for instance, yeah, but but for instance, like there there will be times where they, she now uh, there will be certain countries like Africa, for example, won't accept them, so they had to stay on, on their when they landed in Africa, they had to stay there for four hours waiting for to see seek approval if like the or I don't know if they had a prime minister or or so, whoever governs them like uh, made the made the call like no we won't accept you um, mm-hmm. you know actually landing here and like uh, like you know entering the country so all they can do is like refuel and then uh, wait for orders to travel yeah. to another place yeah so they they have to go back to Ireland uh, you know. And that, that even had complications of like, uh, of like pilots have a certain time, maximum amount of time they're allowed to like fly, in between the their rest time. So like they can only fly for a certain amount of time, and so they had, like the pilot had to like violate his time, to to you know to actually well, fly back to Ireland, yeah, because think... like you know what what else are they gonna do you know just yeah. stay there for how many hours until they can fly again? It's like. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's it's all sorts of weird. Like I can't imagine just knowing how like game development. Well, I only have a not knowing how game development works, but like just imagine like trying to ship something for this fall, and like yeah, people can work from home and whatnot. But like it's like Josh said, like okay, what if they somehow magically can have you know a million PS4s or a million Xbox Series X ready to go? But they have no games ready because, um, like, no new games ready. Like Xbox has, they both have backwards compatibility. But like, the general Joe Blow is not going to care uh, about being able not, to play I'm PS4 not, games. I'm not going to buy a PS5 to only play PS4 games. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just do that. Like, like it's we're living in like I know Sony just the other day said like, oh, this will not affect our launch. It's like how how can you say that like. How can any of us be certain of things I, these I, days? I think, I think they're betting on like, oh, November is so far away. But maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe well, they we peak in May and and we're and by July we're on the downslope, but we don't know. If you want to know who, if you want to know who's the actual stupid ones here, the, the people who are running Anime Expo, they're still trying to make that happen at the usually at the very beginning of July, and they're still trying to hold on to the hope that it's still going to happen, even though the Los Angeles Convention Center is a big, big, big medical treatment facility right now. Yeah, they. Yeah. Uh, I think that, like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I do think things will be fine in a, some in time here. Like, it's, it's not. We're not going to become, you know, Ellie and Joel here in a few months. Um, I don't mean to play the game. Sorry, I was making an apocalypse joke. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I just think that, like, The Last of Us is just the first of many. Like, yeah, I saw yeah. some. Actually, super tinfoil hat time. The real reason they're delaying The Last of Us is because Xenoblade comes out the same day. True. <laughs> That's true. You don't want to fucking get in Xenoblade's uh, way, okay? Well, I agree. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it's just we live in uncertain times. Like, I can't imagine why someone would be like, hey, do I want to spend $60 on a video game while I'm unemployed or do I want to get groceries? You know? Well, I mean, video game. I can understand why people would spend the money on games if they have nothing else to do and they need oh, yeah. some distract- distraction. I mean, yeah. Oh no, a hundred percent. I didn't mean. I just mean that, like, 
like there, there's so many factors they don't have that choice yeah yeah. I'd imagine I'd imagine Sony is probably like, well, this game probably cost several hundred million to make. Um, we can't have a bad launch, you know. We should probably try to make a profit on it, you know. Yeah, yeah, maybe you know, if, like they yeah. spent like thirty million dollars just making the reload animations. I'm sure that they probably want to make that money back. Yep. <laughs> so I was being actually a little cheeky by opening up the topic section with Last of Us, which is clearly not an RPG, but you got. <laughs> And it, and it does broadly apply to every game that's releasing coming up over the summer. So uh, that will hold. It's just the biggest first domino to fall, probably. Because, for instance, one of the things that was also announced that was delayed was Wasteland 3. Like, And for, when Wasteland 3 was delayed a few days earlier, it was just like, yeah, I feel that smaller studios or studios that, uh, you know, that don't have a huge backing. Well, I guess they are backed by Microsoft now. So maybe that's not even the case. But, you know, big games won't be affected, right? But then Last of Us 2 was also affected. And then Sekiro, not Sekiro. Um, well, what's the Samurai game from uh, Sucker Punch? Ghost of Tsushima. That one, yeah. Uh, that one's, like, slated for June. Is that one still going to land? Who knows? Mm. And happier news. Uh, are we done talking about that? I was going to move yeah, on. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. Related to- In happier news. Uh, this week, during the near, speaking of cult classics earlier, 10th anniversary concert, it was announced that Near Replicant is getting a, we're going to call it a remaster, uh, for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Excuse uh, me, what's the full title of this uh, thing? Let's just call it Square Root 1.5. Let's just call it Near Replicant version 12247-4487-139 dot dot dot. Thank you very much. I'll definitely remember that. Some, yeah, and someone basically figured out later or soon after that that's the square root of one and a half, three halves. So that, that implies, you know, if you, I don't know what the square root implies. I don't know if someone else has a better idea, but, you know, one and a half. So it's kind of straddling the line between remaster and remake. Uh, and then it, 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 so I think anyone listening to this probably is aware of this, but when Nier originally released, uh, it released in two versions, Replicant and Gestalt, where Gestalt is the version, they're 98% the same, uh, but they feature a different version of a protagonist. One is a brother of Yona, a, a, a primary character of the game, and one is a father. But other than that, the game actually uh, plays the same, but this remake is the near replicant version with the brother near, as, as people generally call him brother near and father near, or more affectionately, papa near. Um, so this is the version that's gonna it's gonna be released worldwide, and it's the version that West, you know, North America, Europe never originally got. So it's kind of exciting mm-hmm. for us for two reasons. So I don't know if Josh is the one that can most speak to all the details. That uh, yeah, I, I, I could talk about it. Yeah, like uh, so this is coming to PlayStation Four, Xbox One, and PC. Um, so what big big things uh, off the top of my head? Uh, it's fully voiced uh, this time around. I don't know if this actually means fully voiced for the whole thing, like because there are certain sections of the original Nier where there's a lot of text, and I don't know if that will include narration for that for that text. But um, uh, Keiichi Okabe, the primary composer of uh, the Nier series, uh, re-recorded all the songs for this and will add new songs to it, which is very exciting because the original Nier uh, is arguably one of my favorite soundtracks and video games ever just a beautiful beautiful thing um let's see what else in this one uh they tease that there will be a new character in it 
no other details other than that that in my mind uh, like i i hope the new character will just be uh papa near shows up for some reason in it but who fucking knows um in the this was announced in the near concert uh, they also mentioned that the voice act the japanese voice actors of 2b and 9s from near automata yui ishikawa and natsuki hanae uh they also play a little role in the remaster and to be clear that's the voice actors themselves, Ishikawa and Hane, playing a, a quote-unquote little role in the remaster. Not necessarily that 2B and 9S from Automata will show up or something like that. <laughs> so, um, obviously, since the original developers, Kavya, are no longer around, uh, the the developers of this uh, rem- remaster is Toy Logic. I saw a little bit of their page. I don't re- necessarily recall uh, what uh, Toy Logic has done. Um, but also um, Takahisa Tora from Platinum Games is also involved in this near replicant remaster. So they still have a partnership with Platinum Games to some extent uh, in this going going forward. Um, Tora, you know, it's done a lot of uh, recent Platinum Games stuff like Astral Chain. Um, I think he might have done Revengeance. I can't remember off the top of my head, though. But I know Astral Chain for sure. Um, other than that, for this particular near news, n- nothing else has really been shared. But this is exciting, you know. I mean, a lot of people have I think never... it's pretty clear that this is definitely more a simple remaster. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. They they call it a remaster, but it feels it's well. Actually, very specifically, they're calling it a version upgrade. They're being yeah. and they said they so... said like besides like a remaster it's supposed to be something a bit more like every like even if it's only like little bits and pieces that we're hearing about changes like the fact that the title is like square root 1.5 the fact that we know that there's new characters we know that the voice actors for nine uh for 2b and 9s are playing a role it i'd say it's pretty clear that there's more to it than we've already been told i think i think also part of this comes down to because i was just thinking about this is like remaster and remake have become interchangeable when they really shouldn't be yeah uh, like like like, Xenoblade, a, like... A, a remaster should be like final fantasy 12 on ps4 that's a remaster uh the resident evil 3 game that just came out that's a remake like that's how i differentiate the two yeah, remaster I, I think is about assets like uh, just more technical degrees like think, are they yeah. using are using they're using the original assets and you know doing the like, prettifying the, the original assets or are they actually doing the work and creating all new assets for mm-hmm. it as well so like I, it's, I, it's really weird know, because like depending on who you ask the new xenoblade definitive edition remaster or remake and it's like some people have said, well, they haven't redone the 3D assets, but they have. And it's like, they're do- redoing the soundtrack. They're reorchestrating, well, they're re-recording it. There's new content. It's like the character models are all entirely different. It's like... That's honest- a remake. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, a remake. Like, people are being, like, people are, like... It does straddle that line because it's clear that it's a very faithful remake. But I mean, like, mm-hmm. even, like, Crash Insane Trilogy, like, they didn't really change too much about, like, the actual games themselves, or even the Spyro, like, um, whatever trilogy, I forget what they called that one. But uh, it's, like, it's really weird how, like, specifically in the last couple of years, we've been seeing some games remakes, but the way that the remakes are very, like, conservative almost, it's weird. I I think it'll it'll come down to whether this will be, uh, like, 
like strictly a remaster or remake for this near replicant one will depend on what they actually show in motion. Like, but for the debut trailer, all they showed were stills and some, you know, text on it and like a very iconic music on top of it. And just a typical announcement trailer and whatnot. So it's hard to tell at the moment to what extent this uh, this new thing will be. I just think it's great all around because a lot of people, you know, understandably so, never gave the original near game a shot. It's uh, yeah. it's very dated. I still like it a lot, but I can see why people don't like to actually play the play, playing the video game because it's very, it's it's very it feels very you know. I feel like the gameplay is better than people give it credit for. That's just my opinion. I I, I, I like I, I like the the encounter design in the original Nirmoro. I like a lot of its bosses are, you know, stick out more in my mind than uh, Automata, and I, I think generally the beats hit a little bit harder for for me. But I, I but I like Automata a lot too, so it's hard for me to play favorites between them. Yeah, I like I'm... how we were just talking about uh, whether it's always prudent to take 10-year-old games and just touch them up. <laughs> and now here we're talking about Xenoblade and Nier, both games that came out about 10 years ago. It's also, it's also a weird time to you know announce this remaster in the current landscape because the premise of the game is that humanity was wiped out from a pandemic. That's <laughs> how the game opens up. <clears throat> well, moving on. <laughs> just so... I'm just joking. Yeah. But... Yeah. <laughs> but... It, it, it is it is timing. Yeah, I, I'm super excited for this because I Automa is one of my favorite games of all time, and I've not played this one just because because like it it reviewed really badly back in the day, mm-hmm. right? Oh, but yeah. it was it was mostly because people like didn't understand to like keep playing and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I'm really it's excited. It's it's cool now that like like a lot of the even the new fans have like instilled that like notion that like okay we understand that like we have to play through this multiple times to see the real ending that, yeah, that, was, feel- that was a very hard concept back in the day to convey to people well it's conf- i think you actually we talked about the game once maybe on this podcast ages ago but i remember mm-hmm. a lot of people like if they had almost just called like instead of ending a b c etc cetera, etc cetera, if they just called it chapters like people would be less confused so yeah, yeah. But I'm super excited for this, and I will play it whether it's a remake or a remaster or a combination of the two. I'm really, I'm stoked. I'm really excited. I, I wonder if we'll get a cheeky message from Square, Square Enix PR at the end of the first playthrough. <laughs> uh, well, here's a question for you, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that the uh, near raids and Shadowbringers are supposed to be canon, or are they canon, or what's up with them? canon in near or final fantasy and near uh well see i actually wrote something for vg 24 7 about this and right now um it's very you just don't know yet like you won't know for about a year when the final uh raid or final wing of the raid comes out but because like right now it's literally like a a hole in final fantasy 14 leads to near automata somehow and uh, there's a character that looks exactly like 2B, except for her name's 2P, and 9S is Isn't here. She... Oh, that's right. So this is one of the things I love the most about Taro, is that he he takes things that any other creator wouldn't have be canon, would just be something random. Like So 2P is literally just the recolor for 2B from Soul Calibur Six. So yeah. if you have more than one person playing her, playing her in Soul Calibur Six, yeah. then... It's 2P, and so now she's a canon character, or it looks like she's a canon character, she, separate from 2B. 
she yeah she's not to be um i I know it's gonna come like i saw someone make a joke that like taro probably doesn't care about trying how to make it how is near automata in final fantasy 14 and i saw like this <laughs> this joke that it was like well when like drakengard 4 comes out in a decade and one random npc will explain it out of nowhere <laughs> and it's yeah exactly and it, it's gonna go down yeah and yeah there's no it is canon because like you do because like nine S is in it, it's just not, it's not nine W or something. It's just nine S. Um, that array is amazing, by the way. Um, God, but... I'll love to see it once, like in the number like two hundred fifty, three hundred. I saw, hours. I saw a friend of mine uh, stream it. He streamed it for me. So yeah, uh, I st- I still can't get over the the battle theme, which is way to the world, and then it has the crystal prelude halfway through it. It's so that good. Is so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, who knows? Uh, I, you know, knowing Taro, this remaster would turn out to be a totally new game that just he just for, tricked us all. They, they, just yeah, a reminder that, bug. yeah, just a reminder that Nier Automata's entire plot, like the twist, was basically spoiled by that um, stage play before Nier Automata was even announced. Mm-hmm. They they yeah, had a, che- a cheeky bug in FF14. Um, the where there, there was like a red dragon involved. I don't remember the. Oh, aesthetics. yeah. This was so. You you know near and. So, is it is it there's there's a red dragon in Draken Guard? Yes, in, in Dra- yeah, in Guard. There, there there's a so the 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 premise of the first Draken Guard is there is this character that goes mute because uh, uh, uh he he made a pact with a, a red dragon. So that red dragon becomes his voice essentially. So what happened was in the in the 9S fight in Near Final Fantasy 14, halfway through the fight, for some people, a red dragon just materialized and said, like, like, hello, young one. And everyone's like, what? What's going on? <laughs> and then and then in and then Square Enix literally said, like, it is just like the biggest coincidence. It's a bug. Um, because that dragon is actually from like the Red Mage quest line or something that that's and, amazing and it, and it just so happened to because it totally seems like a taro thing too just like yeah. there you go <laughs> but it was just totally an accident <laughs> i i had never seen it but i saw the screenshots of people were like what is going on yeah lovely lovely i did see a, a, a not small number of people that when we shared this post about the near replicant remaster on twitter not more than one person was like, "Give me Papa Nier. I want Nier to stop." So, yeah, yeah, want, that's a, that, that's a, that's the thing, right? Like they, they, like Taro and the creative team behind the first uh, Nier were totally on point when they made a version that would be uh, catered to more Western favors or more West, <laughs> like like yeah, people in the, the West love Papa Nier. Yeah, yeah. I, I was about to say they pioneered the sad dad genre. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 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 Free, free my ugly papa from a 720p print. It, what, it, what, it, if, what if that's like a pre-order incentive like you get him like, instead of the brother <laughs> like if pre-order to get sad dad it, it, it is, no no it no, is no wait 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 wait. what yeah. if what happens is is that taro decides to make it to play through is the brother and then all the ever playthroughs you're the sad dad <laughs> I could see him pulling something like that. It's it's a it's a complicated thing because like playing as brother near and playing as Papa near, like the content is relatively the same, but the themes of the game and the and the character interactions fundamentally change because of 
the serving as the role of a brother and serving the role as a father. Yeah, like not, not necessarily, not necessarily just even like through their relationship with Yona, but through the relationship with the other party members. In the yeah, game there's there's two different relations. Or actually, there's pretty much three different relationships that all factor in here. There's the idea that when you have a brother and sister, you don't choose to have a brother and si or a sister. You just you have one. That, that can still be very very important to you, but it's not like it's just something yeah. that you kind of grow up with. Whereas father near, obviously, at some point you decide to have a daughter. Or like it's you know it's it's just a different sort of relationship intrinsically, and also like uh, his relation Nier's relationship with both Kanye and Emil, uh, like Emil loves Nier, like literally falls in love with him, um, and it's a little bit different that relationship and his relationship with Kanye if he's like a father already or if he's just a young man, and there's implications either way. <laughs> And so, it's... And, and there's also implications, far more darker implications. I'll preface this, mm -hmm. uh, like you know, of how just early on in the game, how uh, very young near and uh, younger dad near, like you know, how they go, how they imply they've been making money to get by for with him and Yona. And I'll I'll, I'll leave it at that. But there, there is definitely certain theme changes. Uh, just because be, uh, behind that, you know. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting, you know, the, that they've gone uh, this way with it, and you know, uh, kind of almost canonizing that replicant, the re replicant, uh, you know, version is the canon version, and they've always leaned into that because, uh, you know, the Japan is definitely the target audience, uh, first mm -hmm. and foremost for this game. Um, but we'll see, we'll see how this materializes. There's a lot, there's still a lot of unknowns, even though they label it as a remaster or version upgrade speaking um, of final fantasy 14 i wonder if the original plan and i'm not sure how it would be affected by the virus but i wonder if the original plan was to try and coincide the release for this remaster version upgrade whatever with the final alliance raid in the shadowbringer series that typically so that would come out probably january of next year so maybe i don't know yeah that's that's uh, there's a strong possibility they did uh say that they do they they did want to release this game uh before the anniversary window is up for a year yeah, something the, along those lines so within a year has yeah. so who of you has who, who's played the original near here i have but both versions what about you adam and you I've have it? it yeah so it's just me and Brian that haven't. So honestly, like I am, this is one of my most anticipated. Now, <laughs> like I cannot. I've wanted to play this for so long, and ever, ever I'm, since... I'm interested to hear what you're like. You know what you and Brian have to say. Like definitely newcomers have to say to it going in. It's uh, it, it always has a different meaning to people. Uh, you know, I, th I think very very broadly. The original Nier is a little bit more character-driven than Automata, where Automata is a little bit more thematic, thoughtful. Like, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily... Like, a lot of the themes in Automata are not necessarily about to be a 9S, but what they represent. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying, like, the original Nier is void of that, but I think the original Nier is a little bit more centered on the character cast. So some people who really, really love these characters might prefer the original because it's a little bit more focused on them and their story so that's that's just a very broad view and how i see it so it's do a we, little bit of a different type of 
I absolutely love the party dynamic in original Nier. Like just having like Weiss's, uh, Kanye's, um, um, quips and like everything. It's just, it's great. I, I, I think, I think you're going to love that party dynamic too, Kyle, but I'm curious mm-hmm. how it's going to be impacted in this one with the changes to characters and whatnot. So again, this kind of comes back to, uh, whether we know it's a remake or a remaster, but um, if they have to re-record all of the voice acting, like I can't imagine we're probably going to get Laura Bailey back, for example, right? Because she's pretty pretty big now. Well, um, I don't know because Near Automata sold 4.5 million copies, so maybe Square Enix would be willing look, to. Look, like, yeah, Square Square Enix is uh, definitely treating Near as a more respected series. I'm just still weird to me, like. Because I've been following Taro shit for like ever, but like, the, the, it's definitely gone up in the, let's say, internal tiers. Well, I, I <laughs> behind the scenes, I have to point this out, which I still sorry, to, sorry, Brian. I'll just quickly say this, but like just to point out the the FF fourteen thing again, they devoted a whole raid series to Near instead of like one of the other Final Fantasies. <laughs> like that, like that's the confidence in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say that didn't they get uh Laura Bailey and Troy Baker back for that Catherine remaster? I know it's a different genre. Different uh, genre but, I but, yeah, uh, Sega did. So oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I get. I, I it's just like some of those actors, like like Laura Bailey, is like basically a celebrity now, especially because of well, like yeah, Critical yeah, Role and that. that, that so yeah, that whole Critical Role is like its own media franchise now. It's crazy. And if you haven't played uh, near. Uh, Liam O'Brien's voice as Grimoire Vice. I am Grimoire Vice. He, his voice is like amazing. It's one of his best yeah, roles. Yeah. And I could not imagine that book <laughs> as Sounding another voice. It's so, so iconic. IMO. So, <laughs> so just curious, say it, this is only a remaster and it's it's the same game. It's just in, you know, the 4K, um, et cetera, et cetera. It's a port. If it's that, do you think, because um, like, I'm sure you all know that sometimes like reviewing a game can be very hard in the sense that like my, I say this as someone who literally reviews games for a living, that it, it can be hard sometimes to know exactly how you feel about something like when it's fresh in your mind. Um, uh, Like sometimes it takes a bit of time for it to like set in, like to say like, this is my favorite game, et cetera, et cetera. And it kind of seems like, um, you saw this kind of happen with Pathologic 2 last year, but I think Nier was like, it's almost like a game that wasn't, that people just did not get at the time, and it just didn't fit adhere to a lot of like conventions. Like, you beat it once. You know, I think that's, if you beat a game, I think that's pretty fair to say you can review it now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what I'm, what I'm saying is, do you think that it, this remaster, if it's just a remaster, like just a port, um, will review much better than the original release did even if it's the same game do you think it will uh, i think it will now I, I think it will now because now now that people have the expectation of playing it multiple times mm-hmm. and, and playing it that the way it was intended and the, so because it public the, the original near does have a section that is a little bit more tedious than like route two in automata mm-hmm. where you do have to replay a pretty significant portion of the game um 
And that part, which is like right in the middle of Nier, is a little bit tedious, like legitimately. Um, mm-hmm. It's even a little bit more samey than the replay, the second route in Nier Automata. So, yeah, like, yeah, I could, it'll be like, yeah, it's samey, but there are little things. Yeah, there are, there are differences, what I will but say... it is, it, the implementation isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. So, like, I wonder if that's going to be tweaked at all, or if, you know, if they do tweak it, people might get upset. But I don't want them to tweak yeah, it. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's interesting because it's there is a portion of the original Nier where the replay. I, I think it is a legitimate criticism, like the fact that you play the game once and then you play the game a second time, and I don't want to spoil it, but like you do see different things, and it's part of the game's themes mm-hmm. there. But it's it's. I'm not exactly sure if people are just, I, I do think in general, people will be more forgiving of it, but I could see when this game was here. first released, people like saying like, why am I replaying this again? Just for some slightly different scenes. I don't, you know, it is interesting. A part, a part of me, like I said earlier, but I do think that like maybe the, like Taro wouldn't want to do this, but like, I do think it would help those games, both games a lot if they had just said, call instead of endings call them chapters like like that's i think that would have changed a lot of people's perspective because i i know people that played route one of near automata and they're like i'm like you, um, you barely got started okay. <laughs> uh near automata was interesting and i think i mentioned this before, but when i played it i actually read the japanese version English, and it came out like several like several weeks earlier than in mm-hmm. uh, the u.s and the west I remember, uh, that, I remember that because Josh uh, reviewed it for RPG site and he was reviewing the import. Yeah, yeah. so I, I was, when I was playing through the Japanese version, I actually had a person from, I will just say as an undisclosed outlet, that DM'd me on Twitter, first asking if I was breaking embargo, but then second, asking how important it was that they played every route in the game, or at least the five main routes viewing it. And they actually told me that their initial review was going to be an 8 out of 10. And because I convinced them to see ending E, they, the, their final review ended up being a 9 out of 10. So like, I think reviewing your automata at the time was extremely difficult because you couldn't say anything about, like, you can, you can even reveal that like hey 9s and a2 are playable you can't mm-hmm. even, you can even reveal that like you know well, it's didn't they technically revealed like or at least allude that 9s and a2 are playable some somewhat but they they, they never uh, explicitly said it outright like if you weren't really following the game that closely you wouldn't pick up on it well it's Almost. it's it's kind of like the whole dilemma of like reviewing in general and especially in the yeah. In the age where like everyone is panicking about spoilers all the time, exactly, and and like it, it like I, I still, I I wish I wish I could go back and like tweak things about that review that like, but at the time was like you you can't you couldn't say this because it'd be revealing too much. Like a, a lot of that review to me, like go, looking back at it, it's just basically summed up in like, dude, trust me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just it, as an aside, that was kind of a weird time for us because Square Enix was actually, for a moment, like, like, uh, what's the word? Blacklisting us for a yeah. moment uh, at that I time think, for weird, stupid reasons. But uh, that's one reason why like, Josh had to review the import. Uh, it was weird. I also, I, I also think that that um, 
I think they were really afraid of the reception. Like, I don't think that they knew what a hit they had on their hands with Automata. Like, I think they were trying to do the whole, like, don't give you a review copy until, like, it's already out kind of thing. And they didn't realize that people are actually going to love it. Um, probably I, I, th- I think, Taro. yeah, it's, it's understandable because a lot of people don't like Taro's games even before uh, Automata. Like, Taro's games weren't, like, an actual hit until Automata. Like, what was Taro's game before? Um, uh, Dragon Guard 3? Come on now. Really? Well, I think that wasn't the whole stipulation with Automata. Like, was it? Well, is it like a fucking favored? Like, yeah, it was like Taro or Type, you know? Yeah, yeah. Saito didn't Saito because like he's like the producer on Dragon Quest, so and he's like their golden goose. And didn't he say something like, "If you don't let me direct a game with Taro, then I'm leaving." And then Square Enix is like, okay, fine, but it has to be a good game this time. So they brought in Platinum Games <laughs> to yeah, make it. Yeah, so that, that's the talk of how like this game came together. Like it was, it was, it, it was insane. It's like it, it's a miracle that like Automata came together in the first place. Even more of a miracle that they pulled it off. Yeah. I remember when during that Square Enix E3 thing where they revealed like Near Automata. I was saying next to from an like uh friends from a from this one outlet and i was freaking out and they were like whoa, whoa why why are you freaking out so much it's like dude this game's gonna be freaking amazing trust me on this years down the line it's like i remember like there were murmurs before that e3 like outlets like ours had heard that they were making a near sequel mm-hmm. and it was one of those things like wow that's interesting they're making a sequel to near yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, like, I had like the dead. most baffled look on my face, like, "Oh, they're making another near." Like, I, I yeah, really so, love near, but just insane. just to be blunt, a lot of people knew, like in the industry, like press side, knew that it was going to be announced. I'm not sure how many people knew it was like platinum at that time. We just mm-hmm. knew like they're making a near. It was kind of it was it, unexpected and weird. It was kind of a perfect storm of everything. Like I remember <laughs> at the time, like everyone loves platinum games and rightfully so, but like at before Nier came out, they had like a lot of blows. Like they had some pretty like, what did they have? They had like, like crap, Aura, crappy Phoenix Star Fox Turtles. game. Yeah. Um, and then like like uh, Kamiya like said like we we owe our future right now to Taro. Like he said that like it was it was kind of like an unprecedented hit and just like again like Josh said it's it's almost a miracle that it came together as good as it did for everyone. And honestly, like again, I'm so unbelievably excited to play the original. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of my even after even if I know everything that's gonna happen in it, I'm still super intrigued because like just adding just just adding little things that weren't in the original like makes me because Taro isn't like the type of person that like kind of I'm gonna make an unfair comparison here, but I'll do it. Taro isn't the type of person to add things to his games without very significant meaning or like purpose behind it unlike atlas games like, i was just about to say like, like some uh-huh. other company <laughs> uh-huh. like like I, like I i do not like how atlas handles their re-releases like at least personified royal royal like at least looks like it has meaningful changes behind it but mm-hmm. um but before then they had like strange journey radiant historia um I, i'll exclude odin sphere from this because that they actually made meaningful changes behind that um but the, like other titles where they just like Double Survivor hey, Two, Double Survivor yeah. Two. It's like, oh, we added a new like, like. Well, I mean, Odin Spirit isn't round. even isn't even really Atlas. They just published. That yeah, was they just Atlas. Like, that was yeah. Vanilla Bear. Yeah, 
but le- but Atlas is just like, here's a little new thing, and we added a new girl, and since she cute, it's like, yeah. Yeah, they did that. They do that with a lot of their releases. Even Catherine last year. It's like, yeah. oh, that's, that's even more of a mess, you know. Yeah, of reasons we won't go into here, but yeah, yeah. it's yeah. They, uh, I think, just I know not to talk too much more about Automata, but I like that whole mentality that Taro has. That like, I don't give a fuck attitude. Like the whole like, oh, you like trophies, huh? Well, you can just fucking buy them. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah that's right. I bought the platinum trophy for that, and I'm not even ashamed. <laughs> He's just like, whatever. I don't care. So what this game is about, you can just have them if that's what you want. Yeah. Uh, the Tataro Taro's philosophy on game design is it's always gonna I, I, not, there's I'm always gonna be fascinated because he's, he's very he's very upfront and honest about himself and how video games are made i re- I remember. I remember when they announced the near raid series for fourteen and they had like a video message from Saito and uh, uh, taro and and Saito said, like, uh, Oh, I'm really excited to be working on Final Fantasy XIV. And Yoko Taro just replied saying, like, y- Yoshi just lost his mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, sorry. So, Josh, just a random question. What is your yeah. favorite track from the original Nier? Like, music track. Um, Pick one. Oh, man. It. Mm, I'm just gonna say I love the desert theme. Desert theme is very good. Wretched yes. Automaton is one of my top maybe five in that soundtrack. Um, one of the I forgot exactly which mix of the I forgot what it was called off the top of my head. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to pick. One of the ancient themes. Oh yeah, uh, definitely up there. Like, oh, oh uh, I can't. I, I could try to talk around this. There's a very specific track that plays near the end of the game, where you um, confront very, uh, very familiar oh, faces. Let's uh, say, yeah. The, do I have the luxury to stop? I love that scene. Is that the scene you're talking about? Or do yes, you think I yes. have the luxury to stop? You, uh, yes, that is, yes. I love that scene and I love that line. And yes. though that part plays into Automata as well. And it, I, I got to admit, when that when that part was kind of referenced in Automata, I was bawling. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, like, so. Everything about that certain scene, every single thing about that is probably one of my favorite things in video games. Ah, oh, you people are going to fucking love it. <laughs> I... I legitimately feel bad for people that played Automata first and didn't get the full gravity of the uh, flower garden. Where uh, we're kind that's of sort of actually, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, I think my, my final thought about this game is going to be really funny if you cannot save scum growing that flower in that game. If you can't <laughs> save scum it, oh. Mm. Mm, amazing. <laughs> you don't have to make everyone suffer through it. All right, to reel this back into the announcement, one thing that I do want to mention is that alongside the uh, remaster announcement, they did also announce a new mobile project <coughs> called Near Reincarnation, which I don't think we have a lot of details on. I don't know if Josh can, again... Uh, it yeah. seems to or Adam. focus on Kanye, which is yeah, interesting. Kanye's backstory... Is very interesting, but it that's just that's just speculation based on the key art, really. Yeah, 
um, yeah, the key art shows a, a, a very young character that very much looks like Kanye. Ka, I say Kanye. Yeah, I think Kanye is actually. I keep hearing Kanye. So do exactly. I. I didn't know if I should correct it. So I'm just yeah, I, Kanye I, I, I call her, I call her Kanye, Kanye, okay? Because I'm going to lose my mind. Kanye, Kanye. I, yeah. See? It's, now it's happening to all of us. Ah. But yes, near reincarnation mobile game for iOS and Android. Um, they, they show a lot of concept art on it. Um, the 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 key text that they have on it is that uh, they they say in the trailer this is the place they call the cage. Uh, so there's no way this game won't be canon. Um, the, a lot of the team behind uh, Nier's behind it. Saito's producing it. Taro is the creative director. Um, Okabe is the is handling the music. Uh, the main character designer for this is uh, Akihiko Yoshida, which is a very if you're in, you're into RPGs, you know him already. He does Final mm-hmm. Fantasy twelve, uh, tactics, you know, <laughs> like he's the man. Uh, yeah, you know, he's been the man for a long time. A long time. He's um, like he's my, fa- he's my favorite character artist in games, I think. Yeah, Kazuma Koda is the doing the concept art for this game. It's uh, you know, not a lot of uh, news on it, but uh, apart from its announcement, at, at the moment it looks to be only for Japan. I I hope they localize it, but who knows? Mobile game projects are very uh, touch and go. Like I, I guess uh, this is relevant, but the the Sino Alice, who uh, you know Saito produced and Taro directed it. Uh, Sino Alice is finally coming to the West on July 1st. Uh, it was indefinitely delayed three days before its release under Nexon. So, um, the original creators, I forget their name off the top of my head. Um, I forget. We mentioned this last week, by the way. Oh, okay, just, great. You know. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, we that, actually that, we talked about that. If only Josh was here to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pokelabo so, or something like that. Pokelabo. It, like po- it sounds like a Pokemon name, but it's not. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, that that's that's finally coming out after like two years after it's released in Japan, and yeah. So who knows if this? Uh, I hope this near game. Like the like my hope for this game is one that it's good. It's being made by from Applebot, um, which is I guess this is I guess an app time to bring up that I've been kind of trying out their new game that's in a soft launch status, meaning that. It's currently officially available in Canada. Thank you, Canada, Kyle, mm. uh, for uh, the, you know, for testing out this game. I guess the English release of it. Um, it's called it's called Blade X Lord, which is you know whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds like a, mis- a Google Translate title. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's you know it has high production values. It's, uh, but you know the, obviously the team making it is. The, no, not the one for near reincarnation. The actual company like developing it is the same Applebot, and I, I think it's boring. It's an auto battler. It's kind of like Star Ocean and Nemesis. Um, it's it, but it, it, it looks nice. Speaking you know? of production values, it's really kind of crazy. Like I remember you mentioning this. Like modern mobile games have like super high production values, and then like I downloaded the Seven Deadly Sins one like a few weeks ago. It's like holy crap, this has better animation than the most recent season of the anime. Yeah, it's, mobile games have come a very, very long way. They uh, they are, they are look stunning these days when, when the money is behind it. So, who knows? I mean, I... I, I uh, looks, yeah. yeah, same here. 
they they definitely have on the surface competent developers i guess they they know how to make a pretty game but everything will come down to you know how these people lead it and you know if there's anyone who's going to lead it it's going to be these people yeah a lot in your lot in so, your so brian about things people have been looking forward to a lot what do you, what you got to tell us <laughs> these segues are killing me speaking of <laughs> video games topic. brian <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I don't know. I don't actually know if this is what he's pitching me, but I'm gonna go with this direction anyway. Uh, so, in like February or so, we were on the cast and we were talking about uh, localized East America titles, and we weren't sure if this year were we gonna get East Nine or were we gonna get Cold Steel Four. Uh, it turns out we learned that we're gonna get Cold Steel Four, which is coming in fall 2020. For Presumably. Yeah, assuming nothing changes. And then they've this time gone up front and stated that the Nintendo Switch and the PC versions will land in 2021. So basically, it just seems like a repeat of Cold Steel 3 in terms of launch logistics. PS4 first, followed by the two ports. Uh, I don't know if we really have a whole lot. But they, 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 they announced it on April it. Fool's Day. <laughs> and it, yeah. it, it's real news. It just, it just yeah. took a lot of people a, a moment like, okay, this is actually real. Yeah, um, I... So really it, isn't much to say. Like I think they dropped the subtitle. Listen, yeah, they, if, they dropped oh. the end of saga subtitle from the title. Yep, I noticed that. Oh. Yeah. Uh, well, considering the whole thing of Hajimari, is it really the end of saga now? Exactly right. So I mean, maybe that's why they dropped it. It's like, oh, maybe it's not really the end, even though they said it was the end. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, not much else to say. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think this announcement is really like surprising. I. I don't yeah. trust that this is going to come out in 2020 on PS4. I feel like what's inevitably going to happen because there's so many like links in the chain for localization that it seems inevitable. What's going to happen is that a couple of those links are going to have issues because of coronavirus and the game's localization is going to have to be pushed to 2021. And once they do that, it seems more likely that it's going to end up happening the way I originally thought it was going to happen, and it's going to be a simultaneous release for all three platforms. That's my assumption well, at this point. We're, we're recording this, and we will reconvene next year and see if you were right or wrong. Yeah. I'll just say that even if it does make it for fall, I feel like assuming that it's not going to be impacted by current is, quite frankly, a bit naive so i hope it gets delayed because if it still comes out in fall that's going to only be at the expense of the localization quality which wouldn't be good well i guess we'll see again they might just be hoping like ah, oh, fall is far enough away right the same same uh, just general mindset that the i mean that's that's a lot of people's hopes you know a, a lot of people hope that like by this by by fall this will this th this whole thing will subside at least to a, like it it'll go down to a reasonable extent who knows we don't know we don't know yeah but it was either going to be this or east um i think everyone who is interested in this game already kind of knows what it is why they're interested that's kind of the point i'm at where it's like well i'm invested at this point it doesn't really matter what i thought well it does matter i thought i thought well enough of all the preceding games that i do want to see where it goes and i guess that's kind of the whole point of this. <laughs> And kind of the the continual discussion is, are we just going to have to wait another year for East 9? Like, are we just going to perpetually be a couple years behind? 
is it possible we'll get someone like an Axis Games to like help out and help us get up more on schedule with the Japanese releases or what? We don't know. That's kind of one of those perpetual. Word of Zero and Azure like kind of tie in because we know that those are being ported to PS4. Which, yeah, we've had and, and it's one of those weird things where it's like we were just talking about how what's a remaster, what's a remake, and they're like changing things in the uh, I think more specifically the Azure remake, well, remaster, where they're like adding Cold Steel characters to sections that they weren't originally there but were said to have been there in Cold Steel one, two, three, four. So it's it's weird. Like, when are those going to come out? Because those are huge RPGs, too. Like, even if they're older games, that doesn't make them have any less text. So it's like, yeah. Clearly, we just need a year where we get every single localizer team to come together. So just pull the Nintendo trios, I don't care. Get uh, both of the, uh, get, get both of the uh, uh, Zero and Azure. Yeah, At the expense of every single other video game. Just just have just have uh, have have NIS America release Cold Steel 4, then have like Axis Games release East 9 and have uh, Idea Factory release Zero and actually yes. release Ow. And there you go. Just have them all release all at once. Oh, and then we'll be caught up. It'll be bad, but that'll be that'll get us caught up. <laughs> yeah, no no one will have consistent characterization. Everything all the turns are gonna be different, but man, it's it's wild, isn't it? <laughs> Crazy. Good. But yeah, that's coming out this fall, and we, we kind of knew it was coming. Well, it's either going to be this year or next, but there it is. Look forward to it. Yeah. All right, Indivisible, which is a game that both Adam and Josh have played, and uh, and Kyle has also played at, at a few like preview events before it came out, like back when it was during its long like development incubation. I think he reviewed it for IGN. Oh, really? He went. Uh, yeah. Both asking about that, but uh, it comes out. It, they announced, sorry, I'm stumbling over my words here. It, they announced a new game plus mode along with uh, local couch co-op, drop in, drop out as long as you're not in battle. Okay, uh, I, I, I can, I can speak to it. Yeah. I think it's cool if it, like, if it actually supports uh, the Steam share play well enough. Like I know they have their whole remote play kind of deal of like, hey, even, even if it doesn't have like an online mode, you can have people, you can serve as like, an, uh, as, like the screen and monitor for people to come in from the internet, it's kind of like um, X Split Kai almost. Um, it, it'll be fun with people for sure. Like in combat encounters, like you get to everyone gets to command a character or set of characters, and then like you guys can combo together more efficiently and whatnot. It's a fun, it's a fun game to to play through. So playing it with other people, I don't see a you know a downside to it. And I might fiddle around in New Game Plus. After I haven't touched it since I after I beat it for review, and I know they they patched it a lot for like balance issues, progression issues. Because at the time of launch, it did have a weird progression of like, hey, it's kind of like tough at like like beginning to middle, but then like at the end game, you feel like the numbers don't really align with how beefed up your characters are. Like a lot of things kind of just tumble over at the end of the game. At that when I played it, launched, um, so. Uh, it's it's I wanna I wanna check it out. I'm gonna check out New Game Plus and uh, try to get some folks together and try out that Steam Share Play, since no one can come together right now for co local co couch co op. Yeah, it's it's just weird though. Just the general idea that uh, Indivisible is not a game that was really on my radar. I don't think I'll get around to it just because it's not the sort of game I typically play. 
but just yeah, in general, sorry. if you were really, if you were, yeah, just in general, like can't play everything. Uh, but if you were really excited for this game or another game, and then this like this is a, a pretty substantive free update a couple months later, like someone who goes back to it is going to almost have a different experience. Like, Lab Zero Games is great about that. Like they're they're really good at like supporting their power, their titles. Like they did the same thing with Skullgirls. Skullgirls had like years of patches, and they they I think they still tweak it here and there. So it's good on them. Where if, if, if I felt like if I had play, if we were talking about another game that got free updates or I had played this when it launched, I feel like what I would want to do is like play it originally and then kind of let a few updates roll in and then maybe revisit it just to kind of see mm-hmm. like, with the hindsight how you feel about it. And then along with just the, uh, the additions, changes, tweaks, fixes. Again, I guess I guess that seems to be a through line of this of this whole because uh, this, this isn't obviously a remaster. It's just it's just a patch. But it's yeah. a same through line where it's like, you know what, we kind of envisioned that this game should have co-op, and, and now it does. And well, actually, well, actually, um, the original game, or? well, I know they when they launched the game, they wanted to have like one or two more characters, but just basically didn't finish them in time. And I know they plan on adding them later, so that's kind of more along that line. Like, eventually, they're gonna add another character. I believe is the plan. So. Think you'll be revisiting this one? I don't know, probably not. I I, I got all the achievements, so I'm like, I'm done with it. No. But individual getting new game plus and couch co-op for anyone who plans to revisit it or has yet to look at it. Uh, it's coming. Uh, it says April. What was the release date on this? Oh, free on April second. Like, so it came out just like, a few days ago. Sorry, like a couple days ago. Yeah. Okay, next on the list is something that Josh will have to speak to again. We talked about this on the podcast <laughs> a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, this yeah. This on my original list, and then you you put an addendum here. But this is Yomi Wosakuhana. Uh, we talked about how it was announced, but now it has a release date for June 11th on Xbox One. It's that weird Xbox exclusive in Japan, though we'll also yeah to PlayStation 4 the, and Switch. It's that, that's the, that's a, it's, it's a little new news. Uh, like it, it, We've always found it weird uh, on the, like, you know, years oh, feels like uh, uh, news on Yomi Wosakuhana leading up. How is like an Xbox One exclusive in Japan? So yeah, like you said, it'll launch at June 11th, and then the, the new news is they're after making a PS4 and Switch version uh, for this game as well, and that'll come sometime later. They say winter. Who knows? So I'm probably gonna import this for Xbox. Yeah, tell us how it is. I, I, it looks really awesome. Like I really like the 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 new uh, visual that they put out for it. It looks awesome. Been in the mood for a dungeon RPG, so good timing. Yeah. Speaking of dungeon RPGs, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> great segues today. <laughs> well, not all of them, but uh, all right. So, um, Mary Skelter Finale, which is the third and final entry in the Dungeon Crawler franchise, has been announced for PlayStation 4 and Nintendo Switch. And I think by this time last week, did we have a tease of this, or is this all new, new? Uh, um, I, I think like it was just a teaser. This has been floating around. Yeah, yeah. This isn't like brand new, but the way these things are announced, they like leaked in magazines and then announced in magazines, and then drip like the website goes up a week later. So yeah. it, like it's like a drip feed. Yeah. So but now it's finally like the website's up. There's a trailer and whatnot. The the way they announced this was like very bizarre too, because it was like the I think the compile heart idea factory CEO going on to a video, a very small video, 
just to like tease like, oh, in the next thing, final Dengeki PlayStation Magazine issue, um, we're going to announce the final entry of a numbered series. And then the background was like a blurred background of all the Neptunia box art. So a lot of people thought, oh, they're announcing the final Neptunia game. Uh, like in the Dengeki news, it's like, no, fooled you. It was just Mary Skelter with Mary Skelter finale. <laughs> Very weird. It yeah. was, uh, I, you might have said this, but like when he did that video, they had like blurred out images of the Neptunia series. Yeah, did you yeah, say that? Yeah. I just, yeah. It, it was, it was basically very cheeky, like, like a fake out, but right. Yeah. Neptunia that was ending. It's, uh, Mary Skelter. Yeah. I, I, apparently, the, I apparently these dungeon crawlers are pretty good. Um, I That's think they're a little bit. Too. Uh, yeah. I think it leans a little bit too much into the fan service for my taste, you know, which is fine. It's just not my thing. But apparently, they're actually not too bad, like as dungeon crawlers. I only checked that out for a preview very briefly during E3 several years ago, the first one. But uh, I hear from friends that they like it a lot. Like, just they they think they're really good dungeon crawler RPGs. I'm like, I should probably get around to it one day, but who knows when? Yeah, that's the thing with dungeon crawlers is that you need to be in the right mindset. Yeah. They're pretty long. I don't, I don't think I've really played one since, like... Uh, Burnt uh, yourself Kalina. out when you did all Zetronaut. Oh, yeah, but uh, Labyrinth of Refrain. I don't, that was 2018. I'm not sure if I've really played one since then. The, 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 Adam's, Adam's like, I reached the peak of the genre. I cannot go, back, cannot go hey, down. Labyrinth of the Refrain is really good. Yeah, exactly. It really <laughs> is. I've been <laughs> seeing more and more of my friends. Yeah. <laughs> I've been seeing more and more of my friends playing Labyrinth of <laughs> Sorry. Are we ever gonna have a podcast where we can bring up dungeon RPGs and not Labyrinth of Refrain? I'm not, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not legitimately it. suggesting that. I'm just noting it. I mean, if we're gonna be talking about the genre and people are interested in getting into it, we need to let people know where the best way to start is. It's just, it's just like you know, like anime. Like after you watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes, you can never watch an anime again because nothing will be as good as Legend of the Galactic Heroes. It's just not gonna happen. <laughs> but yeah, Mary Sculptor Two. It looks like we have. Uh... Chow reviewed, uh, sorry, Mary Skelter finale, but Chow reviewed Mary Skelter 2 and thought pretty highly of it from a couple years ago. Man, the first game only came out in 2017, so their reviews are really kind of being churned out. Uh, but for people who like the series, obviously, I'm sure they don't have, you know. A lot of people were actually freaking that. out, like, at, at, at my comments. Like, like, a lot of people who, follow, like, follow me seem to, like, know the series a lot more. Like, I don't know anything about it, really. But they were, like, really, like, legit, legitimately, like, super excited and hyped. Like seeing how this will end because apparently things happened. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, awesome. I, I don't know I'm anything about the you. series either, but apparently, like, the sequence you play the games is weird. Like, I, it's I, I believe like on on the surface it looks like Mary Skelter Two is a prequel to Mary Skelter Nightmares, and you actually want to play Two first and then play yeah. the oh, version wow. of Nightmares that comes with Two. Like, don't play the original version. Play the version that comes with Two. For some for some reason, and I think it's not just story reasons, but some other maybe harder to explain. They rebalance they rebalance some dungeons and whatnot in yeah. in the version of one that's included with two. So it's actually and it's, it's only available for Switch, right? I own. So it's actually funny. Like last Anime Expo, I bought a copy of Mirror's Culture One Vita because um, physical copies for the Vita version were actually really hard to come by. Were like 90 bucks for a new copy, and Idea Factory had a few copies 
at their booth for 30 bucks. So I bought one for me and I bought one for another acquaintance of mine that's in this Discord for uh, Vita fans. So I have I, I own it. <laughs> I haven't played it yet. And I'll probably never play the Vita version since I know that the Switch, and I'm assuming eventually PC version, is the way to go because it has rebalanced like dungeons and whatnot. I've had people that have played both have told me that the version of one included with two is the one you want to play because it is. But I have also heard though, like if you play Mary Skelter two, I, I don't even know. Maybe it doesn't even let you, but you want to play two first and then one. That's included. it's like a it's a Final Fantasy duodecim. Yeah, it's a duodecim sort of thing. Kyle, I want to jump out a window hearing this. It's like I, I'm getting mi mixed on the order. <laughs> <laughs> so so okay so okay yeah so let me get this straight the western version of mary scouter only came out for switch right yeah so that far. was that was part of the it's it's a very heavy fan service game and people know that and it feels like the because of playstation changes and how they handle this stuff they just released the version on switch because it's easier for okay. whatever reason Okay. Even though this, even though this new version is coming out on both still in the in Japan anyway. So, all right. So August twenty seventh in Japan, Mary Skelter finale. Has it been uh, confirmed for global? No. No, but, but it's inevitable. Yeah, it's their parent company. They pretty much have to. Nowadays, yeah. What else is Idea Factory going to localize? Zero. No Kazaki. Hmm. <laughs> 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 right. With that terrible segue, because it doesn't matter. Okay, I'm just going to jump into the next topic, but first. All right, so uh, this is something that either James or Josh put on the list, but Mages, the development studio behind the uh, Steins Gate, what's the, what's the broader umbrella? Science Adventure. Yeah, that series of games has been acquired by mobile publisher Colopi? Colopal, I, I say. That's what I say, Colopal. Uh, yeah, so last, last seems year. like oh, the, uh, the decision making for this was that they, uh, according to Mage's president, Chikuru, the reason why they pursued this was because they realized that mobile business was obviously growing. And we kind of talked about that briefly. Um, so that, that seems to be kind of where this partnership kind of birthed from. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to end up updating the version of Chaos to actually use a current, like, mobile phone resolutions because if you buy it now on or download it on the google play store it only takes up like a very small portion of your phone screen because it's still like standard definition instead of like <laughs> it, it's but um i don't know how this is going to impact things like uh i do gonna... know that reading steiner said that he still had hope of somehow releasing like a translation for chaos said no and he says that this change kind of closes off the, that those last avenues they was hoping for. So obviously there's something that's going to be changing. Like, but it, I'll, I'll be honest, it's been a very tumultuous, like couple of months for the science adventure fandom, because like before, like um, Katakawa had their kind of hands in the uh, operations for mages and like, a few months ago, like maybe half a year ago, I'm not sure the exact time is time. What is time? Like last couple of weeks. Um, they stopped having anything to do with 
the series and I believe stopped having anything to do. Yeah, and so now, the, that's and, the thing. Last July, Majors actually went independent from Duango and Katakawa Group. So there, there was a good bit of chunk there before this announcement that they were actually independent. Like Things were actually kind of looking a little hopeful for Majors because they came out with that whole Steinsgate 10th anniversary or whatever anniversary site and then they had like this upcoming Steinsgate Hollywood adaptation. They showed off a new trailer for Anonymous Code, or I think it was called Anonymous Code. I forgot um, yeah. that like their their new science adventure thing. Like things were like they, there were stuff had, happening behind the scenes for this thing. And now with this acquisition with Colopol, I wonder how much creative control they have with what they their their ongoing projects uh, and agreements are. Because knowing Colopol. Colopo is a very, very, very big uh, mobile uh, publisher or de and development uh, team in uh, Japan. They're most uh, best known for uh, games like Shironeko Project and Alice Gear Aegis, and they, they, they have a whole bunch of other mobile games, and they make a lot of freaking money. But I wonder if there's just a Josh, deal with... remind me. Go for it. That one mobile company that like had a beef with... Because I remember the name Shironeko Project. So that yeah, that's that's a whole separate thing. But yeah, yes, there the, there were ongoing like suits behind the scenes between Colopo and Nintendo because of patents uh, that Nintendo made uh, way before uh, Shiro Neko Project came out, and then Colopo still went ahead with Shiro Neko Project, and then so they got into an endless like suit battle in court with Nintendo over that. Just recently, um, a few weeks back. They uh, announced like a new control scheme to be implemented in Shiro Neko Project, which will be which is a direct response to like trying to get, like you know they had to comply with Nintendo's uh, demands. Finally, uh, on one of the things I remember is that, like, kind of like in the middle of all of this, Colopal actually started development of a game that they were going to release on Switch or something like that. Yeah, so I, maybe. I, Maybe the reason they're buying mages isn't necessarily to bolster like their mobile catalog because it sounds like they don't really need that. I think maybe the reason they went for mages is they wanted to expand more into console development, and maybe if that's the case, then it really wouldn't have that much of an impact on mages' operation. Maybe, oh. I mean, they are they already have a Shiro Neko project up. Uh, for Switch planned, uh, the way they announced it way like maybe two years ago, and that's still ongoing for who knows. Um, I I think the the stated reasons that they gave is they like they wanted to strengthen their business with uh, Mages' IPs. So I think who knows what that actually means and what what that'll um, result in. But for the meantime, it, it feels like on its on the surface that they're just draining. The mages' resources just to get collaborations with well-known things. Like you'll see, like maybe a Shiro Neko project, like collaboration with Steinsgate or an Alice Gear Aegis collaboration with uh, Robotics Notes or something. Like who knows what that what that actually means? But at, at the moment, I don't feel good about like mages. Uh, what mages is getting out of this? Like I feel like this was just this was just like a, a takeover, almost. Yeah. I think nothing that's been officially announced for like localization. Like I think Robotics Notes and Robotics Notes Dash are going to be fine. Uh, curious when those are actually going to release, like in the West. But 
uh, considering everything that's been going on with Spike Chunsoft recently, it's going to be interesting to see how that's handled, whether it's going to be digital only, if it's going to be a physical release, if it's going to be a never shadow drop, if they're, it's, mm-hmm. at least this time, they're likely, well, it's impossible for them to send us code before they even announce localization. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, it's uh, kind of, it, it feels like a messy situation. It also kind of, it also kind of um, reminds me that a few, man, like about two months ago, Colopo just recently shut down like a really big budget mobile RPG that barely released last year. That they, they, you, can, you can tell, like they poured a lot of resources into it. Um, I think it was like around June last year that it, that it was launched, and it had like names like Kas, Kasushige Nojima was behind it as a scenario writer. Hitoshi Sakamoto is behind it as a, as a composer and whatnot. And this, it didn't even made it make it past a year in service. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. But, yeah. Here's hoping it doesn't have too much of an impact on Mage. Hopefully. Uh, uh, well, hopefully. if it does have an impact, uh, hopefully it, it kind of pushes them to actually... Uh, where's that a cold of nine update, Gio? <laughs> Where's anonymous code, Gio? Yeah. Gio. Help. Gio, <laughs> yeah. All right. So for the last topic, kind of as a bookend to one that we kind of uh, introduced earlier by me opening with that Last of Us delay. But this is more about summer gaming events. So uh, we we announced or we, we didn't announce it we talked about a few weeks ago how about how e3 had been canceled but they were doing plans for a digital event of some sort well while no official announcement from the esa has been made certain uh um journalists for instance mike flutter on his twitter account at flutterish mentioned that there is no, not going to be an esa backed summer digital gaming event but they have announced e3 2021 for june 15 of 17 next year but alongside these two things, IGN has announced a summer of gaming digital event on their side, which is meant to somewhat serve as like an E3 substitute where they've got like some pretty big publishers like Sega and Square Enix and also people like Devolver on board to basically act as, I guess, it's going to be like a central hub of streams, trailers, potentially like direct style information feeds. So that's something that IGN is basically backing as kind of the biggest, you know, media arm in the industry i so find it hilarious kind of <laughs> yeah sorry i just i just kind of looped those three things the fact that e3 does have a date for next year it seems like the rumors are circulating that there is not going to be an esa digital event this year but there will at least be an ign backed one for publishers like sega and square enix so that's kind of where this summer has landed on so far because of everything that's been upended it's it's hilarious about the esa thing it's- like one of the things that got posted, a slide from how the ESA was like thinking about who they could partner with to um, do that sort of digital event thing. And one of the part- potential partners that they listed was IGN. So oh, it seems like, so it seems like what happened is that IGN like struck first and then the ESA was just kind of left with uh, nothing, which is, Kind of, I find uh, it kind of surprising that the ESA was not able to, like, I understand setting up, we're dealing with publishers and setting up a stream schedule and a website or whatever isn't easy, but 
We're talking about the same corporation that for multiple years left uh, our own personal information in plain Mm -hmm. on an unencrypted, like, sort of... What's the spreadsheet on their website where anyone could could access it without being logged in, without having credentials? It wasn't just one year; it was multiple years. If they couldn't get that right, I would have had no trust in them to manage any sort of digital event for like streaming right. The the ESA exudes boomer energy. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's actually kind of like hilarious to be like. Maybe hilarious might not be the right word, but they're trying to double down. Like, yes, E3 still exists next year. Please don't forget. It, uh, it, hey, it's not going to last. The, if the IGN thing goes well, then there's no reason I'd see for people to go back to E3. <laughs> yeah, they're going to the, fuck if the IGN was super good. If it's super good. <laughs> the thing is that, like, all these companies are going to see, like, even if they don't aren't officially a part of the the IGN thing, they're all going to see how much money they save by just doing a Twitch stream or whatever, and then they'll never look back. Um, as uh, you know, I went to I didn't go to last year's E3. First E3 I had not been in been to in three years, but each year it got noticeably worse for me. This the floor space got smaller. The event was more of a mess, and uh, the neons. You remember that, Brian? Um, <laughs> those three. Then, for for people listening, neons is what people referred to. What journalists refer journalists and influence referred to as the public people that just paid to get in. They had like little neon uh, yeah, they tags, have, they have little neon green sleeves, like you know, and and. And just to not sound like an elitist or anything, it had nothing to do with their public being there. It had everything to do with the like the floor space was so terrible that like you could nobody could get to their appointments or or anything. And yeah, that's it's, not, it's nothing against and, them. <laughs> and anyone who's been to like a PAX as just a fan, you know that you might keep yourself, you know, clean just to be blunt and like take care of yourself. Yeah. But then there's people that just go out in like ratty t-shirts and like. Oh yeah, the merchandise behind them. Like, there's, I don't know, there's, you're, there's you're a, inviting that sort of person uh, to, along with the enthusiast, you know, proper. Fan it's person. like when you, it's like when you go to like Distant Worlds or Kingdom Hearts concert, and there's always like one guy that like in like a Master Chief white tee. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like dress up a little, man. <laughs> but yeah, mm-hmm. I just, I just don't, you know. Again, they're. I see announcing E3 2021 as kind of a panic move on their part. Like, I just don't think it's just not going to last. Yeah, it's just that's, that's, that's exactly what it is. They're trying to like, like, ah, fuck, we need to announce this, and like, yeah, they yeah. Have to. And I, I think uh, full disclosure, I am a freelancer for IGN, so I didn't this, and I am not advocating for the company or. Um, or advocating like, hey, t- come check out our stuff. It has nothing to do with me. Um, I just work on the review. I get and, it, Kyle. Uh, you just want like the ESO to burn <laughs> out to the ground. And, yeah, like, exactly. Uh, well, that, well, th- those th- those thoughts can be true and also independent. Uh, <laughs> I mean, technically, everyone in this uh, podcast has a reason to say fuck the ESA because every one of us has gone to an E3 that's had. But, our personal I information. All, I think all five of us were at 2018, and that's one of the ones. Yeah, there, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah, that was the last. That was the big one, and then they didn't do anything at all to rectify the situation. Well, 2019 the situation. was when it was first like. Well, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's also true. 2018. So. But they, yeah. the the ESA did nothing about it, and uh, but I, but even even aside from, like, as I'm sure you all maybe you all don't agree, but I just felt like each year it got noticeably smaller. Well, wait a second. Um, I know that I went to E3 before it went public, but uh, I'm not sure about Brian and Adam. Did you guys go? Hey, Brian did. Regen- Kyle did. I did, yeah. Uh, Josh, I, uh, did you go to E3 before it went public? I, I did, I think, one or two years before it went public. All I remember is my first one, I did a Zero Escape room with like the, the crew. Oh, that, was, that was us. That was, uh, yeah, I was, that was that, us. That, yep. You know what's funny? So is you, you know what I mean. Like it, it was a night and day difference. I feel like they started getting better about managing the... Um, um, giving time for people to get their appointments. Yeah. And remember, the plan allowing... this year was to make Tuesday an industry-only day. Mm-hmm. They... Kyle, Kyle and I had the awesome thing of the of that year that was we were in the Airbnb and like I think I think I slept in the kitchen. You slept like by <laughs> Aaron's room, like by them or something. Uh, was that that was that the year Aaron and fiance were there? Is yeah, that the yeah, 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 yeah. I I remember that. Yeah, that was we were in two different Airbnbs because there were so many of us. Um, but I remember. What? No, sorry. What was the? Uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Uh, yeah, I, I, Wait, what were you gonna say? I can't even remember. Someone to pick it up. I, 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 I was I was gonna mention like our our walk to. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Sluts, the egg sluts. Yeah. So like, okay. So this is nothing oh, to do with video games. But I'm gonna bring it up anyways. <laughs> oh, so like, God. so like, I kept hearing that this place called Egg Slut in LA was like amazing, like, a really good breakfast place, and it was like it was a pretty good walk. It was like like a mile or something from our Airbnb, maybe. I mean, not quite, but it was a it was a ways. It was a ways anyway, off the side of town. Anyways, um, so we were walking through this one part of town, and the this homeless guy, and I'm not making fun of the homeless thing, it was just kind of like a chaotic thing. He came up and he like poked at my tattoo on my arm, and he said, oh, that's some sweet ink, man. And then like another homeless guy grabbed his like laptop bag, and he said, that's my laptop, bitch. And they started fighting. And the, the, the I forgot to I forgot to mention that the guy was the guy that like poked my arm was holding a bunch of like corn cobs. Like I'm not joking. And so like when they started flying, there was corn flying everywhere. It was, it, it was, it was like it, it was like in the middle of a stoplight too that they started well, fighting. Yeah. <laughs> you told this story before. Wasn't one of them in a wheelchair? I thought you said. No, no, he had a wheelchair. He was just pushing oh. it. And then the other guy oh, okay. just like took his laptop off his wheelchair, and then the corn started flying everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, that was. They were just like, we gotta keep on walking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we couldn't though because it was like a stoplight and we we're waiting. <laughs> so we were just like, kind of like yeah, kind of viewing this while waiting for like it to go green. And like, what do we do? We fucked with you. <laughs> yeah, and then we and then we were we were waiting outside Eggslut for like three hours or oh something crazy like that. Yeah, it was the worst idea, but it was it was good. It was it was fun. It was it was delicious. It was a good story. I don't know if yeah. in the moment it was good. But... It was a good story. It makes for a good story. <laughs> yeah. That was it's a time. the sorts of things we lose by E3 struggling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to there... miss seeing Kyle, man. There, were, there was another time. So, like, this was the last year I went. So, 2018. So, it was like, uh, Brian, to, we were at the, uh, what's, what's that bar? The hair, the hair, the hand, the Marriott, I think. The Marriott? The one with like the the bar, the open bar that like everyone hangs out at at E three. So yeah, yeah. Um, 
and I remember Brian was to my right, and then to my left was Nat, and then Andrea and Alex, all either alumni or staff at the site. And uh, I was ta- I was I was really drunk, and I started like talking to Brian about Dark Souls, <laughs> and uh, I remember you started like dying laughing because I said I can't remember what I was talking about, but I'm like, and then the last boss of Dark Souls three like pulls a Frieza and goes into his final form and you're like a Frieza and then you just started laughing. <laughs> I remember you I that him and just carried him halfway to the apartment because you could. Oh yeah. I was really drunk. I was really <laughs> drunk. That was that, that. and we were oh that tiny that was actually a really cool hotel we were in that year. Oh yeah it was. Yeah. Um we've actually I, talked before how like for a site like ours and a lot of sites these days that works totally remote. Um, mm-hmm. Do these podcasts remote? It's it's a little bit just of a bummer. Just that E three was just a good opportunity for us to actually like see each other. Mm-hmm. Like we work. Some of us work with each other like on a daily basis, but we don't actually ever get to see each other. And that's just like, at the very very least, an opportunity for us to say like, hey, it's you that I work with all the time. We can actually like <laughs> see each other. So. so- so, I'm so, definitely glad that I, I was able to meet up with uh, Brian like uh, back for a little bit. So I I have to tell this story because like uh, hopefully Brian and Adam don't hate me, but I remember I had met Brian the year before, and the, these two are twins, so they look really similar. And I remember the second year I went, uh, Adam showed up first, and Brian showed up after. And I remember Alex was in the Airbnb. And, and he like looked at Adam. He's like, "Wait, is that Brian?" And then and he's like, "I made a joke, like, no, they they're actually the same person." I'm, <laughs> and then Alex is like, "We've not seen them both at the same place at the same time." True. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this. Oh, sorry. I just thought it was funny. No, it, it is a bummer. Um, especially like, I mean, truth be told, I I just prefer like Pax West overall to E three um so like uh you know maybe we can organize something else like at another event um i still want to go to gamescom at some point i know it's not as easy as e3 but um yeah i don't i just don't see e3 surviving uh like it was already on trouble in light of uh the coronavirus but um again i think all these companies are going to see how little how much they save by not going to a show like E3 and not look back. We'll see how well this uh, summer of gaming event turns out. Yeah. Obviously I hope they have both people like Square Enix there. We'll have obviously plenty of site interest in keeping an eye on that. Cause it seems like that might just be the avenue for doing their <clears throat> stream. Which is like FF7 remake part two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope they, I want. I just want Boulder's Gate three info. That's all I want. <laughs> More than anything, Boulder's Gate three. Oh god, that game's looking good. Oh god, that game. It's funny because the last time I talked to Brian like this, I hadn't played Divinity two, Divinity Original Sin two. Now I've played it. I'm like, oh, I need, I need more Larian games now. <laughs> <laughs> they got you. They did. They did. It was. Uh... Yeah. There's. Uh... Assuming they come out this year, there's some pretty big RPGs still coming out this year, eh? Assuming. Yeah. Mm, unless, again, who knows if any of it's coming out anymore, though. But yeah, E3, it uh, it served us well. 
we'll uh we'll see how it goes maybe it'll maybe it'll come back maybe i'll carry adam again who knows <laughs> if not at e3 we'll, we'll we'll find a substitute we'll, we'll all hit up egx and ig3 we'll, we'll, we'll all head to ign's offices <laughs> yes yes clearly and kyle can let us in the door yeah thanks kyle yeah, clearly that's, that, that's what'll be me. <laughs> that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so that thanks. This is we're near the last section of this long three-hour plus podcast. Uh, we have special guest Kyle Campbell. Um, as always, yeah. you can find us at rpgsite.net. Uh, obviously, we're going to have all the updates and news for all the RPGs coming out, starting with one Final Fantasy this week that some people might already be playing. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at rpgsite both Facebook and YouTube at RPGSiteNet. You can find the TecherCast on iTunes and Google Play, as well as on our main website. Uh, you can find me, if you'd like, at on Twitter at ZeoMasticot, Z-E-O-M-A-S-S-I-C-O-T. Josh, how about you? You can find me at HDKirin, H-D-K-I-R-I-N. Uh, Adam? K-I-N-G underscore S-E-D-A. James? find me at t-h-e-s-w-w-e-e-t and kyle do you want to share where your twitter is sure uh i'm at levito that's at l-e-v-i-t-0 and that's it and as all yeah as always if you made it if you've made it through to the end congrats you don't get any rewards but we hope you enjoyed it uh we will be back (laughs) seemingly next week because that seems to be the schedule but we won't commit to it because we're cowards. I think everyone knows what we're going to be talking about next week. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. There's a certain, hmm. there's a certain game coming out that might be of interest to a few, uh, few listeners and readers. But as always, we will see you next time. Take care. See ya. Yeah. Later.